violence and gore, how much is too much? Um, I don't know. How much is too much? <laughs> Depends on the story. I guess when I get there, I'll let you know. <laughs> yeah, we try to walk, figure out the line that you know an audience expects something to, to give them that cathartic experience mm -hmm. and to freak them out. So you gotta, we're constantly thinking, okay, what can I do to get my audience where in the place they're supposed to be in a movie like this. So that's but, really what you're thinking. But especially like you know the whole history of uh, grindhouse movies and B movies. Part of the you know part of their appeal is you were going to get from them you know you know forget about their quality for two seconds. They they existed outside of the rules of Hollywood. If you were had a chance to see something that would just actually drop your jaw and make you question, am I even seeing what I'm seeing? It was grindhouse movies. And unless you actually showed up with a, a pack of friends. Not only that, you saw what you saw, and then they were gone in a week. So, you know, as the years went on, you might be like, did I even see that? Did that even happen? And so that's what we were trying to do with this. We had to have a few moments that you were just, is this even happening? <laughs> fans welcome back to episode 156 of not the bomb podcast this is the podcast where we go back and talk about movies that bomb theatrically or didn't sit too well with the critics brad 156 is a big episode you, it is our three-year anniversary my friend congratulations yes congratulations we're still not old enough to drink at three mm -hmm. but uh we're getting there slowly Slowly but surely, yes. Yeah, this little COVID project of ours uh, seems to continue, which is cool. I'm I'm having fun with it. I don't know about you. Oh yes, I thought you were breaking up with me. <laughs> no, 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 not not okay. no, not at all, not at all. But since we're doing episode 156, it represents three years. We're like, okay, hold on, we got to pick something special, and we also wanted to have a special guest on too. Now his his voice you've heard many many times. But what's important about this person is I think Brad and I, we both agree the subject we're going to talk about tonight. This is one of our resources we constantly went to, um, to kind of understand this, uh, particular, um, genre I I'd say, or genres that it encompasses. And, and I'll be honest, um, we're going to talk about 2007's grindhouse and it represents a little bit of a film experiment, but you, if you want to do a deep dive on all things that Grindhouse sort of embraces, you have to go to the Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema. Will and Sammy have been doing this podcast for years, and I've been listening to it for a very long time. I know you have too, Brad. We've become very close Correct. with them, but we couldn't we couldn't 
talk about Grindhouse and much less celebrate three three years of a podcast without um, getting our, our good friend Sammy back on the show. Sammy, how are you? I am good. I, I I don't think I can capitalize on that intro. I really appreciate that. That was very kind and very nice. And I want to thank you guys for having the door open for me on one of your anniversary shows. That That's very kind. I know they're kind of sacred, so I know where I stand. <laughs> we would love to have everybody that's ever been on the show on an episode. Um, but I, look, I understand that they're yeah. not as important as me, but I understand that. No, no, no. <laughs> I, yeah. Fuck those guys. Yeah. But I mean, Grindhouse it, 2007, this is a big deal because a it's, it's a, it's a type of film that I know Brad and I love. It also, one of them is directed by a film that I think Brad worships, but having you on a director sh- that by, I worship, yes, by a director. Yeah. Sorry. Um, but what I, what I think is interesting too, is taking a step back and look at the, 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 what would you call it? The critic armchair podcast community. I don't, I don't know what the label is, but you know, a bunch of people out there trying to be Siskel and Ebert on the audio waves, your podcast specifically was one of the ones that tackled films that you would find in grindhouse cinema. And you've also influenced a lot of different podcasts that dip their toes into these films on a regular basis. I, I kind of want to start with you, Sammy. I mean, what was your exposure to grindhouse cinema in general? All right. So this is uh, set back kitties <laughs> long story. So uh, my movie loving, obviously, a lot of the the things that we all share in common is uh, the blockbuster era. So I grew up during Jaws, Star Wars, Raiders of the Lost Ark, which, you know, pound for pound, I think Raiders of the Lost Ark might be the perfect film for the record. Agreed. Uh, um, it's it's just, I mean, it doesn't get talked about enough. And, and, and that's saying something with Steven Spielberg. But. In doing that, I was always interested in all the random things I would come across. And then I started to read about movies. And well, that really opened the doors to everything. I found out about Italy. I found out about the Philippines. I found out about Indonesia. I found out about all these countries that were making these movies. And then I found out, believe it or not, I found that out first. And then I found out that New York City, which I knew about the kind of porn district of Times Square, the 42nd Street District and all that kind of stuff, mm-hmm. but I didn't know that they showed more than porn films, that they actually showed what they called, they would call them grindhouses, and they would just show these films on repeat, double bills, triple bills, everything else. And I became obsessed with these movies. These were the movies you were not supposed to see. Cannibal Holocaust, Maniac, Maniac Cop, really. That kind of carried over late into the late 80s a little bit. Um, you name it. There's so many, there's so many films that I've talked about over the years, but spaghetti Westerns, uh, Jodorowsky films, a lot of Jodorowsky films. That's where they played. Um, they were just too transgressive for cinemas unless they were art houses and stuff. And I became just completely obsessed with this whole world of movies that I knew nothing about. And, uh, it really opened the doors and then the video stores opened and thank God they did because what they did was they brought a lot of that stuff that I had been reading about for years to the to to my hands right right and i was able to get into that stuff lucio fulci films uh fangoria magazine i was reading i was reading about all these italian horror films italian action films italian cop films and it just really changed the whole world of cinema for me the grindhouse for me the grindhouse ethic or the the paradigm or whatever you want to call it the 
the ethos, I don't know what you want to call it. it. It's incredibly important to films because it's where a lot of filmmakers find their footing. Uh, there are some garbage movies, no doubt, <laughs> no doubt. There's some garbage, but if you pick through that garbage, you can find some gems and you'll find some movies that'll completely change your mind about genres that you probably overlook. Some people are like, oh, I don't really like horror films. And I'm like, okay, well, I understand that. Um, how about you check out this, you know, this giallo here, check out, you know, this, check out deep red. You never seen this, you know, you know, something like that. Yeah. And I think that that world really was, it was, it was the poppy smelling scene in Wizard of Oz for me, right? It was the moment when movies, just the whole thing just opened up and it was very important. Yeah. Whatever you, Brad, I mean, given, given the age, you're, you're not as Mm -hmm. old as Sammy and I, no. Um, what's your, what's your knowledge of Grindhouse or exposure to it, um, from a historical context? Well, uh, kind of mine starts a lot with black exploitation film just because my obsession with like early nineties hip hop and like late eighties to early nineties rap music. Um, so you, then, you know, you get into your super flies and your black mama, white mama, um, blackula stuff like that. Like big gun or black gun, sorry. And, and obviously something like, uh, all the Pam Greer stuff. Um, but it kind of starts there. And then, you know, we talk about Shaw brothers in Hong Kong, like all the time. And that, that kind of grindhouse to me is like those kind of really cheap Kung Fu films that just come out of nowhere that are insane, uh, but stick with you. Um, but it kind of starts with like the black exploitation stuff. And then, and then it kind of gets into like the weird, horror offshoots that are not your Friday the 13th and stuff like that. But like, like with Sammy, I lived within walking distance to a blockbuster. So every Friday, my mom gave me money. My friends and I walked over to the blockbuster. We would get the newest release and then we would walk down the aisles and just get the weirdest things we could find. And we would go home at six o'clock and we weren't going to bed until we watched three movies. And then it was like amazing. But yeah. we would see stuff like, like we had no idea what it was. You know, you pick up this really isn't a like a like a grindhouse film, but you'll pick up something like Chopping Mall. It's got the arm holding the bag. And you look at it and then you watch the film and it's like that's not what the cover art is. And you <laughs> run across a lot of those. But it's just kind of those random sort of finds in Blockbuster that you just kind of were like, what is this? I have never seen anything like this. It looks like it was made for $12, but I love every second of it. Um, and I think that's where like my love for like Samurai Cop and Chimkata and Miami Connection comes from. It's just all those uh, grindhouse type films that are just low budget and weird and violent and gory. That's, you know, that's what I grew up on. And I turned out just fine. <laughs> I, I think it's interesting your story. So you, you talk about and use the term grindhouse type. I think Sammy and I are of a generation that we saw the tail end of grindhouse cinema and exactly yeah. what killed it. So mm-hmm. if, if you think about grindhouse theaters in general, they, the, the cinema was basically designed as, Hey, here's a building or an architecture 
that's going to show exploitation genres. And when we say exploitation genres, we're talking kung fu, horror, giallo, sexploitation, um, good old boy redneck car chase movies, black exploitation, spaghetti westerns. But it, but it was really all of these um, cheaply made exploitive films from the late 70s. And Sammy kind of mentioned it. A lot of people associated grindhouse theaters with like burlesque um, or like porn theaters. And 42nd Street is is the one that usually comes to mind. I think yeah, you can you're, find you're stepping in semen when you walk into that one. Yeah, you're, you can you can find, you know, DVD compilations, 42nd, uh, 42nd Street Grindhouse trailers. And it's just, you know, volume after volume of all the films that came out of that era. Uh, but but what's really interesting is Grindhouse theaters specifically um, were composed of, I think, of three elements. One was it had to show a variety of films in continuous succession. The second one was they were generally cheap admission. This this wasn't your premier theater. Usually a rundown theater too. Um, and and then third, the films that they screened were usually of poor quality or let's say low artistic merit. They weren't <laughs> going for the Academy Award. Yeah, and it, we should also say it was usually a print that had been probably passed around from grindhouse to grindhouse. <laughs> Yes. What, and what's interesting is, you know, especially in the movie we're going to talk about tonight, they try to recreate that a little bit. Most of the prints, um, if you talk about the reels, the, the, the main reel or a part of the reel or the film itself was usually in, in, in good standing, the wear and tear came from the ends of it. So if you were missing things, it was usually because they were being spliced over and over again, but it was rare for you to miss like an entire reel. Most of the time you'd miss a little bit of a section, but it's these, these moments where the cigarette burn was going to happen. And just over time, I mean, that that's where the wear and tear comes from. But when, when Sammy and I were growing up, I, I kind of had the same experience, but mine was strictly Kung Fu films. So if, if somebody was getting kicked in the face, we were going. And I remember in Wichita, Kansas, you know, I got to see a double feature of Bruce Lee films, got to see Inframan, went to the K42 drive-in and, and, and saw stuff like Devil's Reign um, so we had exposure to it in the theaters, but as soon as the home video and cable market hit theaters stopped showing those type of films, except for maybe midnight exhibitions every once in a while. Yeah. I think, I think that's the first time I saw El Topo was at a midnight showing at a theater, <clears throat> but you didn't have theaters that were dedicated to these type of films. They might show them every once in a while, but these yeah. films then got a new life through cable and VHS. And so when you talk about chopping mall, technically it's not something that would have played. You, you wouldn't classify that as grindhouse cinema because it, it didn't play in grindhouse cinema, but it's grindhouse cinema like, or it's a type of it's film that would play in there. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And, and just like the difference, I guess, between like a grindhouse in a, like a midnight film is that theater was showing bigger budget, more high quality films during the day and at night or at midnight, it would, you know, turn over to the, to the creeps and, and show something yeah. kind of B level. Yeah. Well, absolutely. It wasn't its main, you know, that wasn't its main draw. Right. I think what's interesting too is, you know, and, and Brad saw some of this surely, uh, but I know Troy and I definitely saw it from its inception to its breaking point, which is kind of now, and I still love the theater now, but the theater now is it's, it's designed to get as many people in there as possible. So, you know, I've complained about this often on the show. You know, you got five different screens showing the big movie. 
And, you know, there's all these movies out there, but, you know, they want to get people in there. But in those early days, you had second run theaters, which I know a lot, probably all three of us visited those often. Dollar oh, yeah. movie. Yeah, the dollar, yeah, the dollar movie. Which kind of became a grindhouse in a way. There was still the drive-in, which was still pretty prevalent for us in our youth. And that was very much a grindhouse experience. I, I don't know how many times I saw Dawn of the Dead as like a third film on a weekend bill. Yeah. I, it was, it was very often. Well, I can and, tell you, and you got drive-ins. I mean, we, we live in the East coast, so we get the Mahoning drive-in. Yeah. Um, well, we got a drive-in nearby here too, but unfortunately it has to attract people to stay functioning. So it has to show big. Hey, films. we, we did zombie fest over Memorial weekend. It's sold out and it's, yeah. it, it is the definition of a grindhouse experience in terms of what they were showing. However, it, they were showing films that Brad referenced in terms of here, are your eighties, even seventies, like grindhouse like films versus actual grindhouse films. But if you look at that definition, it's like, Hey, it's 20 bucks and you see three or four movies. Um, the prints, the original prints, they, they look kind of shoddy. Um, mm -hmm. and there are, you know, three more, four movies shown in continuous succession. So your drive-in theater almost has replaced that viewing experience that people had in the seventies to a certain extent. And I do believe that the future of these kinds of films, I do believe that there will be a market like there is for vinyl and certain things. I do believe there'll be more cinemas like the new Beverly cinema that'll pop up over the years. Yeah. That'll show these old films because I do believe that is, that is the future for, there's going to be a lot of people that are going to want to see films and they're not going to want to watch them on their home. I know a lot of people are going to say, yeah, they are. They're going to want to watch. I watch them from the comfort of my home. But if I had a new Bev nearby and I could go see George C. Scott's The Hospital and I don't know what else, then, you know, for a few bucks, I'm going to go. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Because I'm not going to see those on a big screen anywhere uh, near me. No, it's it. I, I really enjoy now in, in my age to be able to go back and, and talk to my kids and say, OK, this is what I experienced growing up and, and seeing the transition from you know, exploitation cinema in a theater to home video and cable. And then it's and to your point, Sammy, it starts coming back on a boutique label, but then to hop in a car and go, we're going to the drive-in and you're going to see three films in a row that yeah. might've came out in my youth and give them that experience. So I, yeah. the AFI does it out here every once in a while. Um, the Charles theater, the parkway, which is temporarily closed till next year. So in a lot of your urban markets that, um, grindhouse like experiment is still going. And I think, yeah. I think it's gaining a lot of popularity too in certain markets. Yeah. I think so too. But I mean, that, this, this whole conversation is so deep. I mean, we could go on for hours just about this because I always think about my grandfather and his great story of he would cut grass, cut grass and cut grass for a nickel just to go watch cowboy pictures in the air conditioning. Yeah. And that was a grindhouse experience. That wasn't called that then. They were first-run serials or cowboy films, Tom Mix movies, or Gene Autry films. But he worked like hell to go see these B movies that his his sisters, he was raised by his sisters, were like, why do you want to go see that garbage? You know, go see a Betty Davis movie. Go see something with some class. Dress up, put a suit on, go to the movies. No, you're, you're absolutely right. It's, it's the same format. I mean, let's face it. Exploitation films are always going to be around. Always. It's yep. just the delivery and what you label them, right? So 40s had it, 70s had it. We've got it now to a certain degree. You could even say that the 80s and the Ronald Reagan era helped also kill the grindhouse. Yes, Because that's true. It, it took a lot of sex out of things. There was a lot of wild sex in movies in the 80s, no doubt. 
But think about that culture, that conservative culture. And it kind of killed that in a way. Yeah. No. So we have two gentlemen that grew up with grindhouse pictures, ended up becoming filmmakers. And then in the midst of their careers at, at different stages, decided to join forces and create 2007's grindhouse. So let's talk about this real quick. The idea of grindhouse came from Robert Rodriguez and Quentin Tarantino Tarantino, what he used to do was set up screenings for double features in his house and, and invite his close friends over. And he would try and, and replicate that grindhouse experience. So here's a movie, here's a bunch of trailers, then here's another movie. And a lot of times he was showing his original prints, all right? So not VHS tapes or DVDs or anything of that nature. So during one screening in 2003, Rodriguez noticed that he owned the same double feature movie poster as Tarantino for the 1957 films Drag Strip Girl and Rock All Night. And this poster basically kicks off this idea where they, you know, basically say, "Hey, I've I've always wanted to do something like this. What if you and I get together and you direct a film, I direct a film, and then Tarantino's like, "Yeah, that's a great idea, but we got to call it Grindhouse." So it's this little party um, and a recognition of a poster that kicks off this idea. And so probably some cocaine and probably yes. some cocaine. Yeah. So probably. Rodriguez some, first and some tacos, probably some tacos <laughs> and some tacos. Yeah. <laughs> Rodriguez first came up with the idea for planet terror while he was working on the faculty. And, and so this is a quote from him. I thought was really interesting. I remember telling Elijah Wood and Josh Hartnett, all these young actors that zombie movies were dead and hadn't been around in a while but thought um, that they were going to come back in a big way because they'd been gone for so long. I said, we've got to be there first. I had a script. I'd started writing. It was about 30 pages. And I said to them, there are characters for all of you to play. We got all excited about it. And then I didn't know where to go with it. The introduction was about as far as I'd gotten. And then I got into other movies. Sure enough, the zombie movie invasion happened and they all came back again. And I was like, ah, I, I knew that we should have made that zombie film. <laughs> yeah. Um, so he takes the script out and he says, Hey, I'm, I'm going to use this for, for my film as planet terror was coming into fruition. Tarantino developed the story for death proof based on his fascination for the way that stuntmen would death proof their cars. As long as they were driving, stuntmen could slam their cars headfirst into a brick wall at 60 miles per hour and survive. This inspired Tarantino to create a slasher film featuring a deranged stuntman who stalks and murders sexy young women with his death-proof car. So that's the inception of it. As a result of this collaboration, they reach out to a couple of friend directors too to help them with trailers, and we get Grindhouse from 2007. So... It's composed of a trailer, kicks it off, called Machete, directed by Robert Rodriguez. After you see this trailer, which eventually will become a film, you get the first <laughs> film. Films. Yeah, two films. That's right. You get Planet Terror, directed by Robert Rodriguez. Then as soon as that film's over, you get a couple of trailers. The first one is Werewolf Women of the SS, directed by Rob Zombie. Starring Sherry Moon <laughs> Zombie, Sybil Danning, Udo yeah. Kier, and one probably coked out Nicolas Cage. <laughs> That's Fu Manchu. <laughs> yeah, that trailer is followed by Don't, directed by Edgar Wright. So yeah. Hot Fuzz, Shaun of the Dead. 
Simon Pegg and Nick Frost are in the trailer, and the voiceover is done by Will Arnett. Yeah, don't. Don't. <laughs> the third trailer is... Which is like, it's an inspiration from like Hammer Films, right? Uh, I think Italian film, because it, it's... Uh, well, it's, it's a mix of Italian uh, and Hammer. It's yeah, kind okay. of a mix of the two things that Edgar Wright kind of loved. Yes. Um, the third trailer is Thanksgiving, directed by Eli Roth, starring Jay Hernandez, Michael Bean, Jordan Ladd, and Eli Roth himself. Which he still says he's going to make this film at some point. I, I heard that it's supposed to come out in Thanksgiving this year. Yeah, I thought I thought he was making go. it now. Actually, okay, yeah. all right. Well, there we go. Um, and then Death Proof, which is the second film directed by Quentin Tarantino. Now there was a contest around this time period too for South by Southwest. They encouraged all young independent filmmakers to submit a Grindhouse trailer. And if you lived in Canada, you got an extra trailer, and it was Hobo with a Shotgun. Mm-hmm. And that ended up becoming a full feature film as well. So, Brad, I'm going to kick it over to you. We talked about sort of the history of Grindhouse, our experience with it, the inception of this experiment. When Grindhouse came out in 2007, how was it received? Yeah, so released April 6th of 2007 with a reported budget of $67 million. Its total box office return was $25 million and some change domestically and $384K internationally for $25.422 million. Hmm. So that is a big box office flop. Um, Opening weekend, it makes $11.5 million. That's good enough for fourth place. And this is depressing because it gets beats out by movies like Blades of Glory, Meet the Robinsons. Are we there yet? Ooh. Sad. Sad, sad. <laughs> wow. Uh, cri- critically, I was surprised by this. Critically, Grindhouse, with its over three-hour runtime, gets an 84% from the critics and an 87% with the audience. And that audience is with over 250,000 reviews. Wow. Pretty Pretty solid numbers there. Hmm. Um, <clears throat> other films you could have seen April of 2007. We have Are We There Yet? Firehouse Dog, The Reaping. <laughs> um, we have... Uh, Those sound like Dog sounds like an exploitation yeah, It sounds like yes, a Grindhouse film right there. <laughs> yeah, Sunshine, which we've done. Yeah, Disturbia, which was kind of the big film of that month. Uh, we have Pathfinder, Perfect Stranger, uh, Slow Burn, Red Line, Fracture. Fracture made $112 million, which blew my mind. Wow. In the Land of Women, Vacancy. And there was one more I wanted to highlight here. Oh, Next. Next made $93 million. Wow. Seriously. That's impressive. Yeah. Big box office flop here on our hands. Well, and I think, correct me if I'm wrong. So in the U S generally it was shown as one complete, um, film, right? So it, it was, yes. Now it was an experience. It was an experience. It was an yes. experience internationally. However, they I did fi- split them up. They split them up. So I don't know how the trailers worked for that though. Does anybody know? I don't think they, I don't think they did the trailers. So it was just the yeah. films. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know if uh, what they did exactly. Okay, which which is unusual. Um, and I, I, the more I read about, uh, I, I think we all saw this in the theater, right? Oh yes. Yeah. Okay. 
Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, I, I saw it. Uh, I saw it in the theater. I had opening the times in my life. Yeah, I had one of the best times of my life in the theater watching this. Me uh, and about yeah. nine other people, I remember. <laughs> and I yeah. was like, oh, boy, this is oh. bad. So here's what's weird. I had a full theater and I thought this thing was going to be a big hit. We, and we I was were not stunned. in a full theater. I, I'm with Brad. When when we went, there weren't a lot of people in our theater. Yeah, there was a lot in mine. Um, and chuckling, getting the jokes, clapping. Oh, I mean, wow. I, I just you thought had the wow. full experience. Yeah, I thought this was going to be a huge hit. I was just, I have a lot to say. <laughs> well, so before we talk about the film, I'm just really curious. It's 2007. Quentin Tarantino. Is, is really made a name for himself as a filmmaker. So is Robert Rodriguez. There is a little bit of hype coming out about this and what they were trying to do. Why did it bomb? I mean, do, do you guys have a, a guess or an assumption on this? Well, I mean, there's a lot of theories. Tarantino has posited one himself uh, over the last few years that uh, people didn't really understand the grindhouse experience. They didn't really understand the double bill and that you had a whole generation of folks who couldn't sit still for three hours. I, I don't know if that really holds any water because already by 2000, whatever, four, is that three when this comes out? This seven. is seven. Seven. Sorry, Jesus. Um, people are, I mean, blockbusters are already two hours and 20 minutes long. I mean, you know, this is only 40 minutes longer than that. And I know that's a big chunk of time, but when you're considering sitting in a movie theater, but I don't know. I don't know what happened. I don't know if the, the zeitgeist flipped at the point that they make this movie, both Rodriguez and Tarantino are pretty Teflon, right? I mean, if I recall correctly, and maybe I'm wrong, maybe you guys remember differently. I know Rodriguez has always had kind of a different reputation, more of a, a come in under budget, fast shooting mm-hmm. entertainment type of director. And his films are hit or miss. They always have mm-hmm. been. I still think he's infinitely interesting. Even when he swings and misses, I still find his movies interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, but, Tarantino was five for five leading up to this movie. Yeah. So Tarantino was on fire. I mean, literally on fire. And I think they thought maybe, maybe, well, I think the Weinsteins definitely thought that that would get butts and seats. And I thought it would too. Honestly, I thought with Tarantino's name attached to it, Rodriguez is going to have the biggest hit of his career as well. And, and we're going to get more of these. Well, and I was, he pumped. had a bigger hit than Grindhouse because Sin City came out two years before. Yeah. And that, I mean, it was a great time for this kind of resurgence of Grindhouse type cinema and these film geeks that are coming up and talking about these movies. And I just thought, man, this is all going to, ex- this is all going to explode. And, uh, you know, we, we started our podcast the next year. Yeah. Um, that's how old this movie is. <laughs> <laughs> no, we've been listening to you for a while, bud. <laughs> yeah. So, there was just this culture of people. It felt like that love films and I cannot for any, I am not a, a PhD. This is a little bit of a behind the scenes joke between us <laughs> and Jose. I'm not a PhD, so I can't tell you what caused this movie to fail outside of the fact that I just think for whatever reason, the audience just could not buy this as an experience. They okay. just, there were there were film lovers who bought it and loved it and I think still do. And there were average moviegoers who just thought it was trash. Okay. And I still talk to these people today. I still say stuff because I'll bring up Death Proof because I'm one of the few defenders of Death Proof. And um yeah, they still give me the same reaction. Like, oh man, that movie's trash. 
how could you even like that? And Planet Terror is even worse. <laughs> what what oh do God. you have a theory, Brad? I, I'm kind of on the same lines as, as Sammy. I, I just think there's a baseline $25 million that film fans will pretty much see anything that's unique or experimental or weird. And your average Joe Blow is not going to go for that. Um, you're not getting, because this is after Kill Bill Volume 1 and Volume 2, huge pivot for, for Tarantino here. Um, and then to even think about the pivot he takes after this, I mean, 2007 yeah. arguably is the one of the greatest years for films ever. And I know him seeing There Will Be Blood kind of made him envious that he probably couldn't have made it at that time. And then he gets in glorious bastards and which is pretty much a perfect film, but um, yeah, I just think it's, it's, you know, you're asking a lot from an audience to see two different directors in miscellaneous trailers. And you're going to sit there for three and a half hours. Um, that's a hard sell for the average person. But if you think about it, you know, if you're at, if you're buying a ticket to a film, you get two films, get four trailers you get a lot for your for your money but i don't think people saw it that way um and i just think both of these films are are weird and they're they're hearkening really? back to a time when films were weird and gory and yeah exploitative um yeah. in 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 all sorts of ways so yeah i just i wish it would have done better because i i cheer this as the experience that it was but People just missed out. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'll, I'll say this. This is when I look back and if, if I'm putting some type of, I don't know, analytics perspective on it. And, and if you were coming to me and saying, hey, we have this concept. There's this thing called Grindhouse. I don't know if you know about Grindhouse Cinema. We're going to spend $60 million and let these two directors go do. I'd be like, whoa, 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 hold on. Whoa, yeah. Whoa, whoa, I would have said, stop, stop, not stop. for $60 million. <laughs> not for $60 million. Not. not, not, not in the world. The whole concept. Of I'll give this, you fifteen and make it work. Yes, exactly. The whole concept of Grindhouse was it was never meant for mainstream consumption. Mm-hmm. So the right out of the gate, you got a problem because if you're going to replicate something that was never meant for mainstream consumption, I don't care whose name you attach to it, the mainstream mm-hmm. is still not going to consume it. And I I would even say even in 2007 standards, a three hour film was not going to fly with the public. Now I find it funny today. They'll sit for four hours for blue people on another planet um, (laughs) for the 3d and special effects or for the latest superhero film. However, the only reason why people are doing Scorsese films gonna be pretty long too. So yeah, yeah, yeah. but even I I don't think Scorsese films come out and, and do like half a billion dollars in box office. No. So, and, and even his budgets are, are within reason. I think Scorsese is an interesting comparison, though, because Scorsese has had critical success as well as Tarantino did up to this point. And Scorsese is one of those kind of directors who loves genre. So he'll dive into genre sometimes. He makes these prestige pictures. You guys yes. can't see my quotes. But he does make these prestige pictures. But if you look at his prestige films, they're actually genre movies. Yeah. In a lot of ways. And I've always kind of felt like, in a way, even though Tarantino really doesn't talk about him as much, I know that he is friendly with him. I've always felt like he kind of, he kind of has always wanted to be the next Martin Scorsese in a way. I, th- I think that's fair. His, yeah. Yeah. His needle drops are very similar. He doesn't <laughs> use score. 
he he's very much a popcorn pop culture filmmaker and he's used way more stuff. rolling stones if he wants to be like scorsese <laughs> <laughs> well just one song but yeah. the but the truth is I, I agree with what you guys say this when i hear the budget i always kind of i always kind of just shrivel a little bit i'm like Ugh. but I, I think the weinsteins obviously they're banking on tarantino at this point not yes. rodriguez he's he's kind of he's kind of coming along for the ride right I think, yeah, I think, I think if Tarantino says, give me $60 million to wine scenes at the time, say, okay. Yeah. I guess Rodriguez could have made five films for $60 million. I I agree, but I I wouldn't, I wouldn't discredit Rodriguez pull at this time period. No, no, I I wouldn't discredit either. Although I do remember, I do remember very vividly people were starting to turn on Rodriguez at this point. Yes. Because I, I think because of his, Hey, I'm I'm doing a Sin City, and then I'm doing a Shark Boy and Lava Girl. Oh yeah, he's got the Spy Kids. Yeah, he he's, had, he's going back and he forth. Had, Sin City, he got a lot of love for, and he should have. It's one of his better films, and it's one of his best films, really. Yeah. But at this point, also, he was really pushing back on Hollywood, the Directors Guild, everything mm-hmm. else. He was really leaving a bad taste in people's mouths, uh, as far as the public was concerned. And he, he not for me, but he was just kind of pushing things and. You know, I just I don't, he, he I don't was think pushing the he was pushing the system. Yeah, I don't think that had anything to do with the returns on the film. I think that literally comes down to I agree with what Tarantino said recently that I don't think the generation that they projected this film for I don't think they wanted to see it. I don't think they wanted to see something like this. Or yeah, I, I agree hundred percent. I mean, I I'd be the first to say that this this is for a very specific film connoisseur. Yes. And it it's going to cap out at a certain return level. But I mean, that that's why Vinegar Syndrome is a great example. It's a boutique label. It's not going to go out there and make um, 10,000 copies of a Blu-ray release. It's, it's yeah, They make 3,000 copies of most of their stuff. It's, ve- it's very tightly controlled. And once they sell out, they're done. Um, and they know their business model. But they also know what the audience is out there, right? Th- this is a case where the Weinsteins didn't understand their audience in my opinion. And and I would say Rodriguez and Tarantino didn't either. I, I think there's a lot of ego. <laughs> oh yeah. yeah I, I agree. There's with a you. lot I, of hubris in this movie. There is. I mean, kill bill volume one and volume two is a, those are true exploitation films yes. and they were huge hits. In fairness, they had a lot of reason to gamble here because if you would have told me kill bill volume one and volume two, even reading the synopsis, I knew about those films before they were going to get made. I had no idea those films were going to be hits. I thought nobody is going to go see Uma Thurman in a Kung Fu movie. That's true. I, I, I guess you're doubling down on, on your talent at that point, right? Yeah. I mean, and Tarantino had won Oscars. Yeah. I mean, I mean, that's I mean, even, I think even the, 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 the budget for Kill Bill volume one was $30 million. Like that's where this film should have been. It should have been right at, way less than 60 it should have been 15 million dollars 15 to like 20 million i actually think i'm gonna say this i think it would have made a better grindhouse experience one one of my i'll I'll just share my hand a little bit one of my problems a little bit across the board is it's there's a little too much polish in some areas Mm -hmm. it looks too good it does look too well that'll we can get into that when we start to talk in particular i think about death proof yeah i have i have some i have some things to say there (laughs) Well, so typically, uh, when, when we do this, we, we do a lot of behind the scenes talk da, 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 take a break and we go to the films We're because we got a lot to talk about, we're talking two movies and we're going to talk about the trailers too. 
Let's just jump right into the first film, Planet Terror. So just to give everybody a little perspective, um, Robert Rodriguez, so he's the one who directed it. He comes on the scene in 1992 with El Mariachi. Okay, so boom. Everybody everybody loves that. He's got a career now. Where yeah. Planet... I mean, that- we can't un- we can't understate enough though how big of an explosion that was five thousand dollar movie yes yep and and it's phenomenal um, still holds up to this day it does very much uh, now Planet Terror sits in between uh, in two thousand five Rodriguez had two films Sin City the Adventures of Sharkborn and Lava Girl does Planet Terror then in two thousand nine follows that up with Shorts and in twenty ten takes the trailer that he did machete and, and turns it into a feature film. Okay. Which I love the machete films for the record. I know they're not great, but Oh, I love them too. But, but again, like they made machete for $10 million. Yeah. yeah. And it did really well. It actually yeah. did really well. Um, now the, machete, what the second one didn't do as well. It didn't so. Do so. Um, so here's the cast. That real, movie is insane. By the, is. Way. the second one is nuts. Uh, so here's the cast of Planet terror. Rose McGowan as cherry darling. Freddie Rodriguez as El Rey. Josh Brolin, Dr. William Block, Marley <laughs> Shelton as Dr. Dakota Block. We get Jeff Fahey, Michael Bean, um, Rebel Rodriguez, Bruce Willis is in this film, Lieutenant Muldoon, yeah. Naveen Andrews, Fergie has a cameo. <laughs> Tom uh, it's not a cameo. It's it's she's it's got a, a role. In okay, this. she's got a role. Um Tom Savini shows up as a deputy. Uh Julio Oscar Mencoza, Nikki Cat. Yeah. Michael Parks, which is sort of a, a staple in the Tarantino universe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And speaking there's a of couple, there, there's some actors here that in both films, right? Yes. The crossover. Yep. And, and, and here's one that Rose McGowan and uh, Michael Parks, I think, right? So. Yep. And Quentin Tarantino as Lewis, the rapist number one who shows up in right. this film. <laughs> yeah. And the other one. He's much better in Planet Terror than he is in the other one. So oh. I'm going to say that. <laughs> okay. I'll, I'll give you that. Oh, he can write a picture, but boy, he's a terrible actor. Oh, man. I am going to uh, kick it over to the godfather of Grindhouse Cinema, Mr. Sammy. Let's just jump into Planet Terror. I mean, what are are your thoughts revisiting this um, after so many years from from your initial theater experience? So Planet Terror was the one. So this thing kicks off, and I'm watching Planet Terror, and right off the bat, I'm like, well, Robert Rodriguez gets this. This is what I'm going to get. I'm going to get assaulted yes. <laughs> for 90 minutes and going back and watching it this time. I am, I was like stunned by how squibby this movie is. Uh, like, it is so on the floor. gooey so and gooey. squishy. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> it is a, I mean, it is as gooey a movie as you will run across. I mean, it is insane. The it gunshots is- and squibs are just, crazy early peter jackson level gooey and squishy yeah. yeah yeah and he is going full tilt for it he is going for the gross out he's yeah. popping pustules oh, he's the showing tongue. When, the tongue yeah, the tongue oh. is disgusting he's popping pustules he's showing uh gonorrhea uh, uh Ugh. genitalia parts <laughs> he's he's just going for it like he is there to gross you out at every turn but the key thing about Planet Terror, I think, is Planet Terror is in on the joke from the get-go. Yes. Now, what I love about Planet Terror, there's a few things I really love about it. I do think it's a little uneven, like so many of Robert Rodriguez's films. I do think it's actually too long as well, like a lot of Robert Rodriguez's films. But what I love about it is 
it has such an enticing opening. It has a great uh, piece of theme music at the beginning and this great kind of dance sequence with Rose McGowan. And then immediately it goes into bad taste, bad jokes and insanity. But it also caters to the cliches we're so used to. Uh, the barbecue stand in the middle of nowhere, which is a very much a horror trope. Um, things in the shadows, sound effects, the top secret mutagen, mutagen uh, maybe of some sort. The military base. Yeah. Also the balls. Don't forget the balls. Another gross out moment. Uh, bald. Yeah. <laughs> the balls in the jar. <laughs> the balls. Yeah. I want your balls. Uh, um, there's all of these moments that kind of add up into this big, this is really, it's interesting to me watching this as an experience again. I wonder if, and I don't know if you guys ever had this thought. I wonder if they should have swapped the movies and, and opened with what I think Tarantino thought was the more prestige picture and then closed with the bomb, not, not the bomb in a bad way either. I'm talking about the explosive, Burt Reynolds redneck crazy movie um, because planet terror is just balls to the wall, gore effects, insanity, story comprehension does not matter whatsoever. It's like every Robert Rodriguez. It's like every dream he ever had in an Italian horror film or any horror film, Mexican horror films too. Cause he grew up with a lot of Mexican grindhouse stuff, which yeah. we weren't privileged to see a lot of that stuff. You, you can see more of that stuff now than you ever could, but there's a lot of that stuff you could never see. I wonder if swapping them would have made any difference. And I've thought this, I've had this theory over the years. I d- there was an argument behind the scenes. I don't know. I'll, I'll say this. It, it, it kind of goes with a lot of films. So imagine this just as one film, right? If mm-hmm. you start off strong and you got butts in seats and you're in your audience glued to the story, then really it, you, you just got to, you got to deliver something at the end that's going to make them remember it when they leave, right? If if you don't start off with something that captivates the audience, I think it actually makes it that much harder to get them into the film. So I agree with you. Like you, you could say, would this had made a better ending and you would remember it when you left the theater? I 100% agree. But I think you would have the inverse problem then and go, You'd have, you would have had some walkouts. Like people would not have been into this at all. You could have, you could have, I mean, I think about that and there's kind of, I guess we're going to kind of talk about both films as we talk about one film in a way, because this yeah. is one unique experience, but you know, pound for pound, I think that first half of death proof is as good as all of planet terror. The second half of death proof, I have some issues with, and we'll get to that more later, but that first half of death proof because death proof is really like two films. It's like two vignettes mm-hmm. put together. And it's very interesting that that's the approach to the filmmaking. It's a very strange film in that way, but planet terror is definitely a, a whole story from beginning to end. And it's a zombie story. It's a John Carpenter movie. It's a George Romero movie. It's a, uh, it's a Toby Hooper movie. It's, it's everybody Robert Rodriguez grew up watching. Yes. All mixed into one. It's return it, of the living dead. It it's a grindhouse film. I mean, he, he gets everything right about it. So, if, if this is his homework and he turns it in to me, I'm like a plus you understood the assignment. Yeah, you knew exactly yeah. what we were supposed to do here and and you recreated it pound for pound. Yeah. It's, it's kind of like his homage to Hong Kong films with Desperado and it's kind of homage to spaghetti Westerns with once upon a time in Mexico. That's much more of a failure uh, compared to Desperado, but 
there's still moments where I'm like, this guy gets it. And I just thought he was, I just thought, you know, in the wrestling business, they say strap a rocket to his ass and, you know, take him to the moon. <laughs> I, I thought Rodriguez was just on this trajectory. Yeah. That was not going to stop because everything I'd read about him in the trades too was he always comes in under budget. He always shoots fast. He always saves money. And he still does that from what I understand. He's under still budget and money. on schedule. Yeah. Well, he gives film so classes on his uh, extra features for his movie releases. Yeah. And that's the reason why he still gets to work, too. Even mm-hmm. though he's made some bad enemies in Hollywood and stuff, the reason he still gets to work, he just worked. I know I, some people don't like the new film, the hypnotic film. No, no, but, no one likes that movie. <laughs> yeah, that's what I see. But, you know, I mean, he still makes these movies, and I guarantee he probably came under budget on that thing. I'm sure. Yeah. And it was a COVID production. I bet he's like, I got an idea. Why don't I, I can make something real cheap with a big star? <laughs> But I mean, you're right. He gets the he gets the memo. I, I you know we go back to that question at the beginning of the show. What maybe caused it to be a bomb? Maybe in hindsight, watching it now, I really like. I'm going to be the guy probably on the show that's probably going to really stand up for Death Proof. But Death Proof is clearly there's a thesis going on with Death Proof. And I'll I'll share what I think of that later, but Planet Terror is a grindhouse movie. <laughs> Death Proof, there's some pathos going on with Death Proof. There's there's something going on. And I don't know if you guys saw it, but I'm gonna share it with you here in a little while. Oh yeah. We'll we'll talk about that. But I mean, in in general, for 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 Planet Terror on its own in, in the first part of this experiment, you you still have a lot of fun with it, I'm assuming. Oh, I I had so much fun. I was laughing my ass off at Planet Terror. The jokes are funny. The violence is hilarious. The explosions are great. How Jeff Fahey and Michael Bean have not made a brother's buddy cop film. Oh, my God. I know. Beyond me. Yeah. They are so perfect together. And, man, Jeff Fahey's so underrated. And he's one of those underrated character actors. I just, I really wish he got more work. I mean, he gets plenty of work, but he just is never in anything big. You know? But, man, so much good stuff in there. Tom Savini, and one of my favorite Tom Savini performances, actually. Oh, he's so good in it, too. Just these little yeah. bit, this bit part that he has with the ring the and little everything. Fin- yeah, with the, the finger bit yeah. is, is some of the best stuff. And, uh, you know, everybody in the movie is, I mean, pretty much nails it. I don't think there's a bad performance in the film. And not only that, Rodriguez, you know, he amps it up to like 9.5. And then, you know, a bit of a spoiler alert, but then in the car, he takes it all the way to 11 spinal tap wise by taking it over the top. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) You're like, did he just, did he just do what I think he just did? (laughs) He did. (laughs) So it's, it's pretty impressive and it still holds up. I was actually worried. I've seen death proof more, but I was actually worried about how planet terror would hold up because I remember being bombastic and crazy and silly, but actually it's aged incredibly well. And, uh, man, it's just a fun, gory action movie. Awesome. I don't even, I mean, I don't even think it's a horror film. I mean, I don't know if you guys think it's a horror film. It's not very scary. Uh, I, it's, it's a quilt. It, it, it's a patch (laughs) of everything Rodriguez loves from that grindhouse genre or genres, I should say. I think it's horror by uh, committee or association only because it was zombies. Yeah. Yeah. It really feels like a, a Rodriguez action Hong Kong zombie film. Absolutely. And you know, yeah. and one of the greatest moments in the movie. And you guys can agree or disagree, but I think it's one of the best moments in all of Rodriguez's filmography 
is when uh was it Freddie Rodriguez is that his name? Yeah. Yep. When he gets on the micro bike, <laughs> it's one of the best moments. The Wang Wang micro- motorcycle. <laughs> God, I miss those things. Those things were hot for like ten yeah. minutes. Oh man, when he gets on that and he takes off on the Willie, the Burt Convy uh, yeah. Willie, like in Cannibal Run. Oh man, come on. That, that is, is amazing. amazing. That is a that is a hero moment. <laughs> All right, Brad. He knows how to do that. He knows how to do that kind of stuff. And it's a shame he doesn't do it more. No, I agree. Okay, Brad. Plantair. Yeah. So surprisingly, this is the one that I've seen the least amount of times um, because of my Tarantino fandom. Um, But I was really having a great time with this one just because it is everything that I love in an action film. It's glorious hell. There's crazy gun. It's weird. Like I'm not a gun guy. I'm not a car guy, but like both of these, like get me going in the car guy, gun guy categories. Um, you know, it's got that iconic, like Rose McGowan, cherry putting that gun on her leg and it like becoming this really cool iconography that you remember from this film. Makes and no I sense think- whatsoever. Right. But it, it works. Yeah, but it works and you don't care. I mean, cause no. at, at this, at this point in time, it's an hour and 10 minutes into this thing and everything has been ridiculous. So of course she would strap a gun to her, you know, amp- amputated leg and it would work. Um, I, I think Rose McGowan is like great in this. I think everyone yeah, but- it's, it, it's crazy to see like Josh Brolin in like this crazy of a bit. Like, I don't know if he would do that now, um, yeah, but I, I think, you know, we categorize films as like, is it good? Is it bad? Like, you know, it's not like the greatest film I've ever seen, but I have a hard time like pointing out the stuff I don't like in it. And like, it's fun factor is like off the charts. Like, I think this thing is so fun to watch and so entertaining. And I think at the end of the day, like films are supposed to be fun and entertaining and death proof does that for me i i just you mean planet terror? I was su- or planet terror yeah. I, like i i was just so surprised at how well this thing had had kind of aged and had really gotten better in my like than what i had remembered i was like i don't know if i think planet terror is all that great i watched it the other day and i was like oh no it's so much fun and it's so stupid and ludicrous and all those adjectives but it just works and i think it's, I don't know. We'll, we'll get to, we'll get to the, like my overall thoughts of the grindhouse thing in general, but yeah, I, I, I love this thing a lot and God, those explosions are awesome. You can yeah. just see the, the, the money being spent on those explosions. And, and, and I think Sammy said it, but this one feels like a grindhouse film. This one feels not cheap because those, those explosions aren't cheap, but it, it does have that feel to it. Yeah, uh, I I think so. I think it's a very fun film, but what I find it to be so interesting is it, as a parody. So just look at it as a as an art form from a parody standpoint. I think it's one of the best examples out there that we have. So it is doing in a a parody of a bunch of different genres that you would have found in a grindhouse theater. 
and I'm so just taken aback at how accurate it is because all three of us have seen everything that it's trying to parody from zombie films to Kung Fu films to, um, I, I mean, you just name it and they do an amazing job of pulling all of these different tropes and stereotypes from those films and putting into this thing. And it feels organic. Like it feels like its own film but it is just a parody of every grindhouse film that Rodriguez has ever seen. And I find that to be really impressive because there's, there's a cohesion to it, even from a storytelling perspective that you don't get. So I like your comment, Brad, that as ridiculous as the, the rifle on um, cherry's leg is you totally buy it because I think it does a really good job of staging all of these ridiculous things leading up to it. That by the time you get to that finale, you're like, well, of course you can do that. Yeah. That's what this course, world's yeah. all about, right? Yeah. Um, and and you know what's interesting? I'm sorry, Troy. I was, no, I, was, I was thinking about something, but you know what's interesting to me? I was I was thinking about Michael Parks in this, and I I, I've, I may have said this before in the past, and I've been doing this a long time now, but yeah, I think there's two actors that are made to say the dialogue of these two guys, and it's Sam Jackson and Michael Parks. Both <laughs> guys, I agree. For whatever reason, they get it. I, I don't know what it is, but no. Sam Jackson or Tarantino. I don't know if he's ever worked with Rodriguez, but Michael Parks can nail both of them. Well, there, Michael Parks was in from Dust Till Dawn. Yeah. Oh, it, that's one of the best. Mon- I mean, that's one of the best monologues in Michael Parks' career in that yeah. intro. But they, yeah. they bring an authenticity to it that I, I think a lot of actors struggle when they get um, that that type of dialogue from a director or screenwriter. They know, they know what it is. They know exactly where that character on the page is coming from and they bring life to it where I think a lot of actors struggle with it. And, and I'll, I'll talk about that when we get to death proof. Cause I think that's one of the problems, but with planet terror, let, let's start with performance. Like there's to me, there's three categories where this thing is just off the chart. First one's performances. So Rose McGowan, I, <laughs> I can't, I can't say I've, I've been a fan or not a fan or anything of that nature, but I can tell you that she is fantastic in this movie a hundred percent. And she does this stripper comedian wannabe that turns into a peg legged action hero. And yeah. she, well, that's part of, part of the joke is she wants to be a stand up comedian. So she loses a leg. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> But what, what I think is incredible about her performance in, in a film called Planet Terror, which is a parody of Groundhouse movies, is she can be funny and she can be intimidating, but more importantly, she's believable as this character. So she gives these little moments of vulnerability that sort of bring this um, authenticity to like her and what she's going through, even though her character is really ridiculous. And I, I think she gives this performance that strikes this balance that you just don't see in this type of film. Um, yeah. And you've already talked about Michael Bean and Jeff Fahey. I agree. Like we need a, we need a road movie with those two or a buddy action film. They're fantastic. Their chemistry is amazing. Even their big, big scene at the end. It's kind of touching <laughs> because yeah, of is. how good they are through that film. It is. I do think for the record though, that this movie goes one beat too long. Oh, the, the, the <laughs> yeah. utopian ending is a little bit yeah. much. Uh, yeah. But I'm, I mean, again, if, if I mean, I'm all in by that point, so it doesn't matter, yeah. but I just think, I just think it's one touch too many. I, I think, I think it's exactly where it needed to go. Given what Rodriguez was trying to, to again, parody. Right. 
if it would have been a hit, maybe we would have gotten a sequel, right? Maybe. Maybe it would have been set in the utopian world. Mad Max on Thunderdome. 2000 Bronx Warriors of Planet Terror or something. I don't know. Um, Josh Brolin is amazing. Uh, He's really I, good at this. I, I, I love I, the, 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 uh, the uh, thermometer in the mouth. Yes. Well, it's what, such a nice little character quirk. I think he's as intimidating as these like pussy squishy zombies. <laughs> I mean, yeah. he's so good. Yeah, he's good. He's really good in the movie. Um, Freddie Rodriguez is El Ray. So as much as I love Rose McGowan, I loved him. I think he really takes this stoic loner character and does this nice comedic undertone spin to every line that he has. That's really good. I think he's great in these action sequences that knife sequence in the hallway where he has the butterfly knives and he's just taking out zombies. But even as they're trying, you know, he's got the gloves on, they're bleeding. He's trying to avoid the blood. So there's this really interesting choreography going on as he's getting through the hallway, which I, I really think is underappreciated from an action moment. And, and, you're, and you're complimenting someone who was in the past. So good, I know good on you. I know um, he has this charm uh, that he can play the seriousness of his character to an extreme and he has a he has a great cheese and machismo like element going on, and I'm telling you this machismo? whole machismo, yeah. Uh, this this line that he delivers, and the last time he delivers it, I I just got tears in my eyes when he says, <laughs> "I never miss." It's yeah. just amazing, and he sells it. It's so yeah. good, <laughs> and it's a joke, right? I mean, that, that that's the thing about the movie. The movie's got these kind of double entendres all throughout. Yeah, and, I, I look for my jacket for two weeks. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> because you, I was going to give it to you, but you left me because you took my jacket. Yeah. Uh, and, and you talked about, so that's the thing. I think the performances, people don't talk enough about the performances. I think they're all amazing. Yeah. The, the gooey, squishy elements, you've mentioned some of it. When people get shot, it looks like a Jackson Pollock painting. It's amazing. Um, you get it's this. It's I mean, the people are just filled with quarts and quarts of blood. Like there, I don't know how much blood someone can have inside of them, but it all comes out. They have a lot. <laughs> <laughs> um, that, that whole sequence you talked about, Sammy, it starts with this bite mark on this, I don't know, fisherman's arm or whatever. And it, yeah. and it leads to these pictures in the hospital, gonorrhea, whatnot, the worst extremes. Yeah. With well, the doctor who's like, Oh, look at this one here. <laughs> yeah. And then you get the tongue. And they're popping the zits on the tongue or the pus and it gets all over everybody. And then it escalates to all of a sudden they're bringing patients in and they're like, Hey doc, this is a no brainer. He's like, what? And he's, he lifts the head up. He's like, no brain. See, no brainer. Um, <laughs> Tom Savini's death is brutal. What happens to Quentin Tarantino? Uh, yeah. Oh my God. I mean the, the gore effects in this thing are really cheesy, really gross. Um, but they're really funny too, to a certain degree, um, because you don't expect to be that grossed out, right? Mm-hmm. The the other thing, and and this is where he gets an A plus for the assignment. This movie has grindhouse moments, a bunch of them. So yeah. take for example the sex scene between Cherry Darling and El Ray. Right in the middle, you see her wooden leg go up in the middle of it, um, yes. and and it's in frame. It's hilarious. We talked about to, is that supposed to infer an erection from her? I guess I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think it's supposed to infer climax. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. okay. Um, okay. We talked about the mini motorcycle. You guys would know about that, apparently. <laughs> no, we don't. <laughs> We've been uh, well. One of us has been married a while. The other one's been married for as long as it takes. Yes, that's right. Um, you got the bad guy carrying his victim's 
testicles in a jar right at right out of the gate of this film um we we talked about tony the little kid and uh what happens to him in the station wagon or whatnot which oh god i mean every time i've seen this film i don't know how many times and that scene still makes me jump and i'm like seriously they really did that which was amazing um you get the first missing real joke which here i think it works i think it's funny yeah, and man, I, I saw it in a full theater, and the audible groan. Oh, <laughs> obviously, it's, it's designed to do that, right? Yeah, well, because and it was definitely designed to do that for young men, because they, you know, we're almost going to see Rose McGowan completely. And Rose McGowan was red hot at this point, and oh, she was movies. a smoke show in this movie. Yeah, yeah, and and she was on top of the world in some ways, well, sexually certainly as far as a, you know, kind of a hot ticket that way. And man, when it, when that, when that missing reel comes up, I can still remember many dudes in my theater going, ah! but okay. What happens afterwards is perfect. Everything's on fire. Total chaos. <laughs> yeah. It just it, cuts right to it. Yeah. And you get this exchange and like, well, El Ray, I didn't know all that about you and blah, blah, blah. And he's like, if yeah. I had known and you're like, okay, that's funny. There's this whole reel that apparently has this amazing sex scene yeah. that has all of this plot development and all this backstory for El Ray and you miss it and they come in and they're like, man, that was so fascinating. And you're like, okay, well played Rodriguez. That was pretty funny. Yeah. Yeah. It's almost like a, it's almost like a spoof in a way. It is, it's a parody, right? So, yeah. um, QT's death, Again, total grindhouse moment. It's the stuff of nightmares. And he's got a great dialogue moment too that I've seen me a stripper with one breast. <laughs> see me a stripper twelve toes. <laughs> Never seen me a one legged stripper, and I've been to Morocco. <laughs> <laughs> it's so good. I mean, he he does he's, he's terrible. He's a terrible actor, but yeah. Those lines are good. I, um, he's I think he's better in films that he doesn't direct. Uh, yes. I don't like think he's he good as Jimmy. Like, I don't understand. Like, I think he's well, good yeah. as Jimmy. Yeah. But everything might... else after that is so bad. Yeah. I mean, maybe Mr. Brown, he was okay too. Yeah. But he's supposed to be kind of like a sniveling shit in that. And then and that's what he is. In life. Yeah. And then in Jimmy, he's supposed to be just this, you know, this awful human, which he does really well. But yeah, man, we'll get to his, his Warren performance. Nails on a chalkboard for me. Yeah, oh but I, I, here's the thing about him. I don't. I think he's a great actor, but if you give him the right role, I think he can do something with it. I now, can, yeah. it, it might be a, a C- minus <laughs> in terms of if we're grading it, but it's, <laughs> it's not a fail. It, yeah. It's just below average. Oh, it's not It's not Django Unchained bad, so it's, it's all good there. The yeah. Australian accent that he pulls out in that movie is embarrassing. And that finale... I mean, there, there's something about everything that you've seen to this point and the next thing that happens where she's taken all these guys with that machine gun, there's an explosion that kind of sends her over the wall and, and she's flipping around and do it is sort of the cherry on top of the ice cream. It's fantastic. And it, and it all comes together in just, um, this, I, I, I don't know, this package that really gets you excited for what's going to come next in the next film. In my opinion, like planet terror, every time I watch this and, and especially trying to do it as a grindhouse experience, I don't know what you guys think, but even though I've seen death proof many times, 
every time I watch Planet Terror, I get this, okay, now are the trailers and now's the next film. And I remember my very, very first viewing of this in the theater, how excited I was for Death Proof. Like, I... This is like the ultimate hype man movie. It is. I had chills. Like This is the flavor flame of movies. If this is what we get, I can't imagine what Death Proof is going to be like. Um, but I, I got to tell you this, it, oh, it's chef's kiss, man. It's so good. Planet terror. And I, I don't think it's just good because it's a fun, gooey, squishy movie. I think it's a really good parody and it, it does an amazing job of, of not just recreating the grindhouse experience, but sort of giving you the buffet of grindhouse films all, all in, all in one setting. It's amazing. Mm. Agreed. Uh, you guys have anything else on this one? I mean, I, I could talk another hour and just go through scene by scene on how I much mean, I loved it. Michael Park saying, uh, that Dr. Blocks is about as useless as a pecker on a Pope is pretty good. <laughs> yeah. He's got some lines, man. He sells them. Oh man. I, I miss Michael Park so bad. I miss him so bad. One of the great cult actors of all time. Agreed. Well, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to spend a little bit of time on the trailers and then we're going to finally get to what Brad is dying to talk about. And uh, we're going to talk about Quentin Tarantino's Death Proof. So stay tuned. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. Delicious things to eat. The popcorn can't be beat. The sparkling drinks are just dandy. The chocolate bars and the candy. So let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. Look out! Here comes the wildest bunch of backclawing, bloodlusting, shine-drinking, pill-taking, pot-smoking, trip-taking, law-breaking, bootlegging, cop-killing, fast-living characters you've ever seen. It's the moonshine blockbuster of the year. See them both. The bootlegger. He wanted the money, and he didn't care how. He's mean and mad for moonshine. The bootlegger. Plus, on the same bill, Moonshiner's Woman. Mix moonshine with LSD, and you take a murder trip. Moonshiner's Woman. From the backwoods to the bright lights, she was big trouble. It's big action, big trouble, big excitement. Moonshiner's Woman. Moonshiner's Woman. Moonshiner's Woman. Moonshiner's Woman. It makes Thunder Road look like an ice cream social. Prepare yourself for the shock show of the year, The Child, together with Axe, The Child, a young girl with unearthly powers who plays hide-and-go-kill, The Child, and on the same program, Axe, more shocking than the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. See Axe and The Child, at last, total terror in one show. Rated R, under 17, not admitted without parent.
Okay, we're back. I, I just have a simple question. What was your favorite trailer out of Grindhouse? And that, that includes the first one that it kicks off with. But um, four trailers. We got Machete, Don't, Werewolf Women of the SSS, and Thanksgiving. I don't know if you have a favorite one. You can rank them. Brad, do you want to start? Yeah, I would say mine goes Thanksgiving, Machete, probably Werewolf Women of the SS, and then Don't. But I, I think that I love the Thanksgiving one when the guy cuts off the, the uh, turkey's head that's in the parade. <laughs> it's it's so great. And then every time I see that girl do the splits on the knife, I, I just yeah. I, I cringe. I cringe so much. I would assume that moment's probably going to be in the new film, but I, it would have I, to be. Yeah, I kind of hope it keeps its uh, character in the new movie, but I'm a little worried about that. We'll see. The I Pilgrim. Oh, the Pilgrim. Well, not just the Pilgrim, but I mean, by character, I basically mean it's a, uh, it's a uh, atmosphere. It oh. seems like oh. it's yeah, it's full tilt, goofy Italian horror film slasher. But, yeah, see, uh, I got I got the Italian vibe from Don't, and I just assumed that would be on Brad at the bottom of Brad's list. Like he wouldn't have liked that see, one. Yeah, you got to see stuff like pieces and stuff to kind of get what I'm talking about with Thanksgiving. Yeah, uh, my ranking would be Machete Thanksgiving. Uh, don't and then werewolf. Okay, yeah. Werewolf woman of the SS as much fun as it is to see those people in that trailer. I don't feel like that's a movie. Well, I do feel like that's a movie I would want to watch, but I don't feel like that trailer. For whatever reason, I don't feel like that trailer. I know this is weird to say. It doesn't feel like it captures the spirit. It feels like it feels like of, of the four. That one's the forced one. It feels like a bit in a way. Like it yeah. doesn't feel like a movie. It just feels like a Saturday Night Sketch. Yeah. Too much, Saturday yeah. Too much of a yeah. Too much of a bit. It, that, that's what it feels like. That's right. That's a good way to put it. It's, it's like too much of a bit. Yeah, I I would agree. I I actually put Machete as one. Don't a second because oh, yeah. I I think don't nails every one of those um, Italian Fulci um, yeah. hammer. I mean, Sergio, it's it's Sergio Martino trailers. Yeah, it's yeah. all of that stuff, right? Um, Night Killer. I mean, you name it. Um, I would probably put thanksgiving and then werewolf last although they're interchange. I, I like i like the concept of the werewolf thing and nicholas cage's moment is brilliant yes um but i i really think machete and don't feel like grindhouse movies and the other two feel like skits thanksgiving even to me feels a little skittish with the whole guy wrapped up as a turkey on the table and the family i mean the, the problem with the problem with werewolf in thanksgiving is whereas you say werewolf is too skitty I, I would say yeah that to me same could be applied of thanksgiving well thanksgiving is directed by eli roth who has zero subtlety in any of his films <laughs> well some would say rob zombie <laughs> and it translates over to this trailer <laughs> yeah, he has yeah, to yeah, beat some, you over with the the bear yeah. you bat with all of this stuff i agree with troy some would say rob zombie has the same problem <laughs> yes <laughs> exactly and and trust me i will defend rob zombie all actually we could say that that about all four directors of all four trailers. It's true. <laughs> they, they all like subtlety at times. Agree. Okay. Well, let's, I know we've been chomping at the bit to talk about this one. Let's talk about death proof. So of, of planet Terran death proof, I think it's safe to say this is the most divisive piece of the experiment. Is that, is that a fair statement? Yeah, I would say it's the most divisive yeah, for sure. Okay. Yeah. It might be, it might be one of the most divisive films in Quentin Tarantino's filmography. Uh, might have been. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, that's you, but I know a lot of people that are that film or this film. 
I, yes, I 100% agree with that. Yes. It, it usually comes down to two films, and it's always Hateful Eight or Death Proof. Yep. So real quick, um, QT, as Brad likes to call him. In, that's because he knows him. That's right. In his filmography. Actually, we, I just call him Quentin. Quentin, sorry. Oh, okay, cool. You know, first name basis. Uh, Quentin hits the movie scene, same year as Rodriguez, 1992, with yeah. Reservoir Dogs, right? So they both release their big breakout film in the same year. Obviously, they become close friends. Where Death Proof sits in his filmography is he had just finished Kill Bill Volume 1 in 2003, Kill Bill, Kill Bill Volume 2 in 2004. We get Death Proof, and Brad, you've already talked about this, the next film, which we get Perfection with Inglorious Bastards in 2009. Yeah, it's really interesting how after this, it's more of his epic films yep um the first five have a feeling of of kind of a, a little bit more quaint and then he does this and then it's like epic 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 mega epic with once upon a time in hollywood just with the runtime and stuff so yeah it's a real turning point in his filmography it's very interesting and i think it has to do with a lot with 2007 and and there will be blood and no country for old men those are films that i know he said that he felt like he couldn't have directed and that kind of pushed him to do Inglorious Bastards. So yeah, it's interesting. It's yeah. interesting. And, I, and I do believe that even though I don't like Inglorious as much as some, I do love it. Um, I do believe that is the pinnacle of Tarantino's career. I mean, that is the apex. For me, it's diminished returns going down, but not in a bad way. I still like most of the films. Even Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, which I don't really like as much as some, there are still moments in it that are masterful. And then bits. And I am actually one of the people who does like the hateful eight. Unlike these two savages. No, it's garbage, but, um, <laughs> yep. now look, I got a book and you guys are going in the book and you're getting filed under chicken shit. shit. You can hey, file us under, if, right. If the hateful eight is the worst film on your filmography. You're okay. And I have not look, I will also say I have not watched it since I saw it in the theater. Okay. I will watch it. I own it. And I'm going in with an open mind. I have a feeling I'm going to like it more now that I've seen it. Like, I know what I'm getting into. Yeah, I think so. Um, but real quick, I just want to run down the cast. It, what a cast in Death Proof. Kurt yeah. Russell, Stuntman Mike, Zoe Bell as herself, Rosario Dawson as Abby, Vanessa Ferlito as Butterfly, Cine Tamilia Poitier, and I believe she's Cine Poitier's daughter, right? Correct. Yep. As Julia. Tracy Toms as Kim Rose McGowan shows up in this film as well as Pam. I'm just going to say it right now. She's great in this as well. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. Jordan Ladd as Shanna banana. We get Mary Elizabeth Winstead as Lee Quentin Tarantino, which you talked about this already as Warren Warren. Oh boy. We get Michael parks and James parks in this. And then Jonathan Loughran is Jasper. <laughs> yeah. Dodge challenger. Yeah. Okay. Look, we've done this 156 episodes. I rarely go first. I'm going to go first. All right. Here we go. Here we go. That means that means he's going to take a crap on this thing. I'm not uh, Troy. I'm not <laughs> at all. There's lots to love about this film. I'm, I'm just going to put it out there. I do. Um, I mean, who does not want to see a car chase between a 1969 Dodge Charger and a 1970 Dodge Challenger? Two of my favorite cars of all time. Um, and I think this story or concept is freaking amazing. An yep. aging stuntman 
killing people with his death-proof car, sort of like a slasher film on wheels. Here's my one critique. I don't know. Oh, you have notes for Mr. Tarantino? Okay, let's see. I, I do. <laughs> well, <laughs> I mean, he's only won two Oscars, but let's let's hear what you got to say here. Here's, here's yeah, what here's what I got to say. So, the assignment was we're doing an experiment called Grindhouse, and we're gonna make a Grindhouse film. Oh wait, wait, you're quoting him. Uh, I'm not quoting him. This is what I wrote. I, I said, okay. okay. Rodriguez made a Grindhouse film. Okay. QT okay. made, sorry, Quentin. Quentin made a Quentin Tarantino film with Grindhouse elements. Right? Uh, I I completely agree with you on this. He made a Quentin Tarantino prestige movie. He did. Um, and, it's, and it's either too good for this experiment mm -hmm. or it doesn't fit the tone of this experiment, in my opinion. Um, and both things are true. And the only other, so th that that's the one critique I have. The only other sub critique I would have on this is that I feel like there's some stuff in here that is repetitive for his artistry. And, and I get this, oh man, I've been there and done that before. And specifically, I know he's kind of recreating the diner scene for most of our dogs at a certain part in here in the second, yeah, second half of the part. film. And, and I know it's setting up some events or kind of blot, plot details that are going to happen that unfold. But I don't know if it's a great replication of Reservoir Dogs. Like, the problem is when I see that scene, now I want to go watch Reservoir Dogs. And it takes me out of that aspect of Grindhouse. Mm -hmm. But I'm, I'm going to throw something out there. Sammy had said that he enjoyed the first half of this versus the second half. I kind of have the um, exact opposite feeling. And the reason for it is I don't like the first set of ladies. Oh, okay. Specifically, um, Julia. She gets on my nerves. <laughs> Jungle Julia? Yeah, she is pretty obnoxious. Well, and it's not even the, it's not her. So I, I get that her character is supposed to be obnoxious. I think this is an example. You had said like Michael Parks and Samuel Jackson are two of the actors that can take Quentin Tarantino dialogue and deliver it. And there's authenticity to it. My problem is with Julia specifically and the others outside of Kurt Russell, Kurt, Kurt doesn't get this uh, criticism. They can say the Quentin Tarantino dialogue. I just don't believe the Quentin Tarantino dialogue from them. Now I'm not saying right. that I don't think girls talk that way. Cause I know that's one of the criticisms like, Oh, girls wouldn't talk that way. I've heard my wife talk this way. I, I get it. Like <laughs> about the pest, about the your pest. wife has a, your wife has a potty mouth. She does like, but she's a school teacher. So, um, yeah. well, that makes sense. Yeah. Outside it, of school hours. Even, yeah. It's worse. Um, <laughs> so I, I get that. It's just, it, it, in the second half of the film, it feels authentic. Like the way Zoe Bell's talking, the way Rosaria Dawson's talking. Yeah, it's a Quentin Tarantino script, but it feels like it's coming from their characters. In the first half of the film, I, it feels like actors quoting Quentin Tarantino's script. And I'll, I'll be honest with you. I'm like, uh, could, could we run over them sooner so we can get to the second part? Um, because I, I just have a problem. The setup's great. Like, I love the concept. I love the setup. And it's not even the dialogue or what they're talking about I have a problem with. It's it's really the performances that really take me out of that first part. And it just feels like somebody reading a Quentin Tarantino script versus characters, whereas the second part, it feels like characters. Mm. 
Um, but, but I'll tell you that the minute that Kurt Russell turns to the camera and winks from then on, I am in love with this film. I'm in love with it. Um, and especially the back half, but th- that's my commentary on death proof. So I'll, I'll kick Troy, it over. Yeah. I surprisingly agree with a lot of what you said. Oh, really? Well, keep going then. I, 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 I think Though I, I will argue that I think Tracy Toms is playing a little bit of like a Sam Jackson character, and I don't know if that works, but I still like her. Um, I yeah, think I this like is basic. I just basically think this is like a rape revenge film without like the rape and the, you know, and then like burying her alive or whatever, what the rapist does. And then she comes back like I spit on your grave or whatever. But yeah, I, I think when Zoe gets on that, hood of the car and we're going and we're racing cars and we're doing all that. I think because up until this point, like I know kill bill has some pretty solid action in it. The fight with the crazy 88s is pretty spectacular, but nothing like this was ever something I would imagine seeing in a Tarantino film, this sort of, uh, kind of bullet esque, um, car choreography going on. And it is, it's pretty awesome and it is real cars and they're doing real stunts and they're doing real stuff. And I just, I don't know what it is about this, but I've seen this probably five or six times. I watched it twice this week. Um, so seven, I guess now, um, it has aged really well. And I think it's just as the car action genre has moved more towards the fast and the furious, we don't have things like this. So it, it really makes me harken back to those days of like real cars doing real stunts and, and all that. There is no reason why this movie should be in the grindhouse set. Like I, it just, it sticks out when you watch it with planet terror. Like mm-hmm. when I watch it by itself, I'm like, Oh yeah, it, it fits like, sure, sure. But then when you watch planet terror, you're like, wait, no, that wasn't, like it's this is too good and too polished i would say that to be it's not just planet terror but it's planet terror with those trailers that lead into this yeah but it's it's just it's too polished like it 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 it, it isn't grimy enough they try but it's too polished and it's too even though like they try to to make it look bad and like it's still it's still edited really well like it's still like minky is still like editing this thing and well can, um, can i ask you this so they they do the missing the missing real gag yeah it's that that one's not as funny here but i think um, the reason why it's not funny is because take take that out it's still a really competent film whereas mm-hmm. they i mean all you missed was a dance a lap dance and what happened in there whereas in the first joke in the other one is like, Oh, you missed all of this plot. You missed yeah, you all missed of this like stuff. The that second, <laughs> you missed like a second act. Whereas this one you go, well, I, I really didn't need that at all because it still flows really well. So the, yeah, it's the, more of a troll move than anything. Yeah. Really. The joke doesn't land in my opinion, but I, I, I think this, I think this one has aged way better than I thought. Cause this has always been one of the films that I have. I still think like, this and then it comes like to a complete stop and then it's hateful eight. So like, this is still in like the great to good category or you know, just not perfect. Um, but man, I watched it and then I watched it again and I was like, 
there's so many good moments where he does this a lot and he, he'll do it again in, in, in glorious bastards where there's this tense scene. And then all of a sudden, uh, Mr. Lapetit will say, Hey, can I smoke my pipe? He'll pull out a pipe. And then a few minutes later, Hans Landa will pull out a pipe and it's just a gigantic pipe. And it's kind of played for humor in this really tense scene here. Like the girls can't find Zoe. It's like, is she dead? And all of a sudden she pops up and she goes, I fine. And then like, you're like, Oh, you know, there's these little moments like that cut the tension with this humor. And I just think it just plays so well. I, I just, I don't know. I, I watched it this week and I was like, you know what? I think I've been way too harsh on death proof. Cause I think it's, it's pretty spectacular. Yeah. I, Sammy. I'm there. Yep. What about don't, you, Sammy? Don't you, don't you fuck this up, Sammy. <laughs> well, so over the years, over the years, I have championed this film, and I continue to champion this film. I do think, honestly, this is one of Tarantino's best films. I do believe that. And the reason why is because it is a slasher with a car and a stuntman. But not only that, it's an Italian film. Through and through, it's an Italian film. I think, believe Mikey Myers. I don't, I don't like where this is going. <laughs> I love Mike where this is going. This Mike is awesome. Loves, he stalks. He shoots photos. Yeah. Do you remember? That's a very much an Italian giallo trope. That's true. Yes. Photos. Yeah. So he has mementos he keeps. He's a stalker. He obsesses. The only difference is you know who he is the whole time. But there's great moments in this, great cinematic moments of like the car just kind of stalking or being in the background, little bits and pieces. But here's the thing that I think it's overlooked the most about this film. Tarantino does not use sex in his movies. For whatever reason... Yeah, he, uh, he says he level. doesn't know how to shoot it. Like he just yeah. doesn't. He's not comfortable doing it. He he. I guess he just doesn't like to write it. He doesn't like the idea of shooting it. But this is if he had a if he has a sex movie, this is the one. Well, first yeah, of all, it we all, starts with feet. <laughs> well, first of all, right, right off the bat, you think to yourself, okay, well, we know his history with feet. Yep. And boom, here's feet. So he decides to open the movie with feet, and feet become a very prominent part of this movie. But everything is very sexual in this movie. The cars themselves, the way Stuntman Mike talks and looks at the girls, both with menace and with glee, all the conversations are somewhat sexual. Eli Roth and his character, very much the frat boy kind of sexual humor, that going on in the bar. Eli Roth playing a 40-year-old college student. Yeah, which sounds like something Eli Roth would be really good at doing. Yeah. Um the you know, that little joke at the bar though the eastbound and down you know, that, that that's a great moment uh, for those of us who love Bert and understand um, the moments with rain and kind of the reimagining of the characters kind of coming back and the movie is just very sexual Zoe Bell strapping straddling the car mm-hmm. uh, the foot moments the 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 second set of foot moments where he just brushes the feet and like oh there's my keys all right. You know, there's just these little moments, but even not only that, there's almost this Wizard of Oz-ish type thing where he goes black and white in the beginning on the second half, only to cut to color once the modern world breaks in with pop soda and everything else. It's a very bizarre choice, but the movie is completely sex. I mean, if he would have shot sex scenes or if he'd went full tilt, and Mary Beth Winstead or whatever her name is would have been raped by the redneck in the woods. I know this all sounds very dark, but just kind of bear with me here. If you know these genres, 
all that stuff is here. He just goes around it. And it's, it's amazing to me that he pulled that off and still somehow made, in my opinion, his sexual fantasy come to life <laughs> because I have said this from the get go. This movie is Quentin Tarantino at his maybe most masturbatory. These women all speak like probably the girls he wants them to be uh, fantasy women. Uh, yeah. Do girls speak like this? There are some sure, but not on the regular. Let's be honest. Most of them probably don't know what vanishing point is. I'm not trying to be sexist here, but I'm sorry. It's not a, a popular chick flick. Well, and I don't like if you're in the film business, though, you probably would. You maybe would. You maybe would. Yeah, like the one I, girl's a stunt. I mean, she drives cars. Well, I think the reason why the second set of girls works better is only because he takes the stunt woman approach and he's able to work the movie stuff in there. Mm -hmm. And that's why they speak more like people than the first set, which is all about radio DJs and college girl or high school college girls getting laid and drugs. Doesn't really seem like Tarantino type stuff, right? But you throw the other girls in there with the movie stuff, and now he's really going for it. Now he's really like they're just, I mean, they're coming all over the screen with their dialogue. I mean, it's just going on and on and on. You're like, Jesus Christ, is they are they ever gonna stop talking? And I can see where some people would be turned off by that. But not only is the movie sexual in nature, it also takes what I think is a genius stroke to emasculate the whole thing at the end. Yeah. And that part in my theater, I saw it in really turned people off when Kurt Russell is screaming, <laughs> when he is screaming at the end and he's getting his ass. Watch out. My arm is broken. <laughs> yeah. Ah! It, it, there were people that were just groaning and getting upset and angry. And then when it ended, like it did, people were literally upset. They were upset. They wanted the bad guy to win. Which I kind of find kind of weird in hindsight, thinking about it. But then I think to myself, well, Kurt Russell is one of the greatest actors of all time. Right? Yeah. I mean, yeah, we yeah, love easily. him. Yes. We yes. want him, even as a bad guy, we probably want him to win <laughs> because he's Kurt fucking Russell. I mean, right. as bastard as he is, when he looks at the screen and winks, I'm like, God damn it, Kurt, you got yeah. me. That's, that's a magic moment. That's a moment yeah. that only a handful of actors, and I mean a handful of actors, can pull off. And that Tarantino even has the balls to let that stay in his movie is unbelievable to me because it completely, it completely erases any idea of this actually being a story. At that point, it's a movie. It's just purely, this is Kurt Russell. This is car porn. This is my girls talking and everything else. But the other thing I want to, I want to touch on the sexual nature of the cars themselves. The cars are, they're very, I don't want to, I don't want to get too in up my own ass here because it's easy to get that way. And I don't have a PhD. Oh my God. But, <laughs> but, uh, I have been asked to be on the show several times, but, uh, the cars, they penetrate each other at many times. And for Russell's character, it feels like, and, and even Earl McGraw addresses this in the movie that it's a sexual thing. The act of car violence gets him off. Yeah. And it's very important to remember that because all of it is this kind of rapish stalking giallo s character that is running around in a car that both cars are the loudest damn cars in the movie. Well, so what's amazing just to digress a minute on that aspect, one of the best things that I love about this 
is I, I mean, I have wanted a challenger for a long time and every, every year I'm like, yeah, I'm going to buy one just as a fun car. Uh, the charger challenger. I, I love that Dodge series still do to this day. Mm-hmm. But when you hear those cars going down that road and even the gear shifts and everything else, you don't need a soundtrack. And that is just pure auditory bliss, in my opinion. And Tarantino knows that, and he just lets it go. I mean, there's music cues that happen throughout that back end. Yeah, there are. More of the first half is the pop music stuff, though. Yeah, but but I'm even I'm thinking about the car chase sequence in itself. The chase, yeah, it, it'll pick up, but it the music only gets interjected when the cars are not. I'll just say purring. But as soon as they get up to full speed, the music's gone, and all you, you auditory wise, you're just focused on those engines. And to me, it just heightens all of the tension and everything that's going on. Yeah, I think you know. There's also the element. I don't know if it's ever said in the movie, but it Zoe Bell and the uh, what's the name of the actress you mentioned, Brad? It feels like uh, Tracy Toms. Yeah, it feels like those two maybe Kim. have a relationship that maybe they're a little closer than you know the the other two. Obviously, uh, at least I feel that way. I feel like there's like some true feelings there and stuff. So again, this is sexuality as far as Tarantino can take it. He really he really doesn't address sexuality much in his movies. So. It's kind of interesting. I can only really think of this. Well, he does address a little bit in Django. He does address it a little bit in the hateful eight. And I guess in theory, he does address it in once upon a time. So, but I don't remember Inglorious having a whole lot of sexuality in it. I guess maybe it does with the threat of sexuality and rape and things, certainly that going on, but I'd have to go back and look at it. Sorry, Brad. I haven't seen it as many times. That's all right. But I just I found I found watching it this time that it, it it just it still sticks with me that it's this I think you're missing Shoshana and her yeah there we go boyfriend there we go there you go that, that I knew uh, there was, go ahead. was missing. yeah go ahead you're right but it really stuck with me more this time than anything that this is the fantasy of all fantasies this is like Tarantino like I can't miss I mean I'm not saying that he thought this or anything this is just the way I feel he hasn't missed he's five for five. I can't miss people love to hear my dialogue. Uh, they they've said that thousands of times and I'm one of those people. I think he goes a little too hard on the dialogue in both scenes, but I think for the record that they both handle it pretty well. I, the first time I saw it, I kind of agree with what Troy said. I don't think I like jungle Julia's, uh, there's something about the way she delivers it with the head movement and stuff. It's it's the cadence with the body movement. Yeah. It there's something I don't want to say robotic because that that's not the right word, but it it feels very forced and practiced. Yeah, yeah. No, I I I can get behind that. I think I just like for me the first half, I think has the better build up to the car crash and oh, stuff. Oh, the car crash. Oh my god. Oh wow. And yeah. And the car crash itself is incredibly pornographic in it's a lot of ways. Mesmerizingly he, gruesome. Yeah, he's gonna <laughs> And that's where it kind of gets grindhousey there with the yeah. gruesomeness of that. Yeah. And that's really in some ways, in a lot of Tarantino's movies, that's some of the most gruesome stuff he's ever really shot. I mean uh, the, Yeah. The I mean, tire rips her face <laughs> off. It's pretty graphic. Yeah. I mean, yeah. there's a dismembered leg. I mean it's yeah. it, it's as graphic as anything I think he pretty much has ever shot, really. 
Um, but he, I, I just think he builds it up really nice. When I saw this in the theater, I was kind of blown away by that first half. And, and then it was over and I was like, well, where the hell can they go with this? There's their own McGraw scene and the talking and everything else. And I'm like, where the hell can they go with this? I know Zoe Bell's in this movie. I know that, you know, Rosario Dawson's in this movie. Where the hell can they go with it? And then they basically just shoot like a second chapter, a second stalking, and then just kind of turn it around a little bit more. And actually, in a weird way, it's kind of genius and kind of an art house film in some kind of strange way, almost like a French New Wave grindhouse film with some Italian flavor. And ultimately, I think that's the real, if there is a failure of Death Proof, I think it's what we kind of talked about. I think it's that Tarantino made a Tarantino movie. He didn't make a grindhouse movie. Yeah, his movies are his movies are informed by grindhouse grindhouse movies, but they're not grindhouse movies. They're Tarantino movies. A, a great double feature to Death Proof. So you talk about the the setup or the narrative. To me, this 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 feels more in spirit to something like Psycho. So if you if you think about the premise of that film, and your main star comes in, goes to the hotel, you have these amazing sequences with you know Tony Perkins, etc., and then that murder happens, and you're like, well, what happens next? And then yeah. you get the second half of Psycho, right? So mm-hmm. Death Proof to me is is very much a uh, copies that Psycho format in terms of narrative storytelling, and I I think it's brilliant. Like I don't I don't have a problem with the movie itself. My issue is a little bit of that that polish that it this feels more like a Tarantino film than Grindhouse. Yeah. To me, the performance is in the first half. No, but I, I, and I, his performance, as yeah, and his performance. I love the angle you're taking on this because whereas the, let's call it the quilt patchwork in, in planet terror. It's so evident what Rodriguez is pulling from in each one of these Tarantino is doing the same thing, but at a more subtle level, because I would have never picked up the giallo um, portion of it until you kind of said it. And I'm like, yeah, it's right there. But even mm-hmm. psycho is, is pretty much um, barring from the giallo element. Um, yeah, those, those two are kind of good. Those, the Italians really bar- borrowed from psycho. psycho. Yeah. More, more than anything, psycho being the yeah. first one, but yeah, you can see all of, all of the DNA and the threads kind of laid within that as a slasher piece. Um, and I, I love the fact, I mean, I'm going to say this, I think Rodriguez and Tar- Tarantino in 2007 really did a great job of taking these female characters in both films and treating them with such dignity and and great characterization that you just I, I just don't think you saw at that time period to be quite mm-hmm. honest in, in in comparison to what was coming out at that time period I, I I think it's I think that is um not stated enough that Rose McGowan McGowan excuse me is fantastic in both films and she's really good in the first one but then watching sort of um, Kurt Russell get the the rug kind of taken out from underneath him, he has all of this confidence, the wink, and and even when he tells Rose like, "Oh, you going left or right?" Well, it was a fifty fifty chance, and all this swagger <laughs> and confidence he has as he's basically murdering her, it's yeah. all just thrown out the window the minute he gets shot. And I love that twist. I love his yeah. performance throughout the entire film, especially in the back end. Yeah, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna lie. When I saw it the first time, I wanted more of Kurt. This sounds terrible to say, but I wanted more of Kurt kidnapping people and putting them in the camera seat and killing them. 
Well, if it's if it's if it's sold as like a a car slasher, like a slasher, a good slasher kill the body count is high. It's it's yeah. not as high in this. No, I guess it's totally in total. It's five. Yeah. Right. Yeah. The four, four girls yeah. and four girls and then Rose McGowan Kurt. in the car. And then Sorry. yeah, well, and then Kurt Russell. Yeah, so six. Well, yeah, Kurt Russell. Yeah. If you get them, yeah. Yeah. But if it's a slasher, he'll come back. Yeah. But no, <laughs> but I mean the emasculation of Kurt Russell is great. I mean, he's, he's like totally into it. He's really getting off. He's like, yeah, that was fun. And then he gets shot. Yeah. And it's gone. Just, and then it's gone. Rug and all pulled. of a sudden it becomes, a, yeah, <laughs> it becomes something else. And now he's panicking. He's freaking out. And it's, it's interesting to me that, that there's something psychological there that, you know, maybe tonight I can't get out or I can't get out on this podcast, but there's definitely that emasculation of a manhood there and machismo by these women who decide to kind of take agency and kind of take over their own fate. And I, 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 I really think that's a stronger message than most people really got the first time around. Oh, I agree. I, I think, I think it's not even just Kurt Russell and his reaction to being shot and that emasculation that occurs. It is this very matter of fact response that the women have to the incident where they're kind of shaken up because they thought, you know, something happened to Zoe. Then she pops up. And they're just like, well, should we go chase this guy down and like take care of business? And they're like, yeah, let's go ahead and do it. Yeah. And it's it's so matter. She grabs that she grabs that piece of like metal and hops on the car. Yeah, I I just what I find unique about this from uh, female characters in 2007 that Tarantino did were was that these females go through that like life threatening situation and they're shooken up. But what they end up doing is like, well, let's just go take care of this. And, you know, it's so matter of fact and badass <laughs> that I, I don't think you you saw that on a regular basis. And and I like that type of respect for that character. And that, that yeah. may be why I like the back half characters more than the, the front half is because I believe Rosaria Dawson, Zoe, but I, I believe that's exactly what they would be like in real life. Is that you're you're not going to shake them up? It's going to take a lot, but even then, after you shake them up, they're coming right back after you. Like I would not want to mess with any of of those women in the car. Yeah, it's a good point. It's a good point. I mean, the first set of girls are victims. The second set of girls, not so much. Not at all. Um, and it yeah. comes through even in the diner seat. That again, I the diner sequence feels very much been there, done that. But even the stories that they're talking about, you get a really good glimpse into what they're like as people, as characters, um, and just how they're talking about, hey, you're carrying a gun, or hey, remember this incident where I fell down? And so, so it's all leading to plot details that are going to happen towards the back end of the film, but it still feels authentic. And yeah. when it comes time to deliver that piece you had that diner scene. And so you totally believe like that's exactly what they're going to do because they told you of stories and who they are at the diner. So there's this consistency of character um, that Tarantino, I, I've always appreciated this with Tarantino. There's a consistency of character throughout all of his films that even when twists occur, they feel organic and authentic. And mm. I think that does come from his strength as a, as a storyteller. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I mean, I, you know, I, I, I read his novel. I mean, the guy can write. Yeah. I mean, he can, and that's write. what he's going to do after his last film. I mean, I think he's going to be. Yeah. Going writing. To, yep. 
And, and we and can't we, talk enough about this simple concept. It on paper, you're like, well, that seems kind of boring. You're going to put a girl on a hood and just drive down the road. And yet what they do with that one simple concept, I think is some of the most thrilling um, action set pieces for uh, cars that has been committed to film. Yeah, yeah, no, it's 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 great stuff. All the car stuff in this is really good. It's so good. Yeah, it's it's, it's really good. I mean, that first that that graphic car crash is insane, and then the uh, the the whole car chase with the Challenger and the Charger, it's just it's just great. Yeah, and and I'm I'm telling you that the the technical and, pay, and, and the whole film pays off in a very Russ Meyer kind of way as well. It does, but oh, that, yeah. but Zoe Bell's mm-hmm. technical skill as a stunt woman is on full display here. There is a sequence where she's basically because they've been, the cars have been like hitting each other back and forth where she is now pretty much hanging on to the front end of the car. Yeah. Where it looks like she could just, I mean, as soon as they hit the brake, she's sliding right off. Right. Mm -hmm. And how she's holding on and they're still hitting those speeds. I really get heart palpitations during every time I see that sequence because it's so thrilling and and you made the comparison to like facts, fast X and all the fast and furious stuff. Name a sequence in that entire 10 movie franchise that even comes close to the, like the five minutes of this film. Um, I, it, Have you seen two cars pull a safe before Troy? <laughs> <laughs> I've seen two cars pull a CGI safe. Yes. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I can't even think of any, I mean, that's one of the reasons why I tuned out of those movies is because they never felt, I mean, car movies, modern car films compared to the car films I grew up on. If I ever feel like an old man yelling at the clouds, that's it. It's, yeah, that's really it. I mean, because I'm used to, you know, Burt Reynolds movies. And I mean, I'm used to seeing some cars do some stuff and some crazy stunt driving. Yeah. When I see, when I see CGI cars, I mean, I'm out. I mean, I'm as tuned out as I can get out of anything at that point. I'm with you. I, I think the seventies and eighties spoiled us in, in that department specifically it did. from, it did. It from really action did. work. Yeah. And I want to mention there is one stunt driver that we should mention here. If Jose was here, he would have done this, but I guess we should mention buddy Joe hooker. Yeah. He's pretty legendary. He, yeah. Who was the stunt driver for Kurt Russell and is the one who pulled off the, uh, the ramming into the car in the first one. Yeah. And, and the first accident. And there's some behind the scenes footage of him actually doing that stunt. Insane. Mm-hmm. Yep. To me, the people that do this kind of stuff for a living, they're just different people. <laughs> I just don't, I just, I mean, I just don't, I just don't see me doing it. You know what I mean? I just don't see it. Uh, I'm with you. Um, well, I mean, should we talk about this as, as a holistic experiment? I mean, absolutely. Okay. So, I guess if we're if we're going to talk about whether or not Grindhouse is a bomb or not, we, we really got to evaluate this as two films and and a bunch of trailers and the whole experience. So I'll I'll kick it over to you, Brad, since Tarantino is is a big piece of this. What are kind of your final thoughts on on Grindhouse, and then ultimately is it a bomb? Yeah, so I mean, I sat down, put this in, you know, three hours eleven minutes, it flies by, like. The trailers really kind of help set the tone. Planet Terror, like I, like I said before, is like the best hype man you can have for. Once you see that thing, you're like, okay, here we go. Um, and then you get the other trailers. You get 
what as uh, Nazi women of the S or werewolf women of the SS, and then don't, and then Thanksgiving is that too, right? They play three of those in the middle. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah. yeah, and then. I mean, Death Proof kind of sticks out a little bit compared to everything else that's come before because it's it's got that polish. But man, I think as a total package, as an, as an experiment, I'm just so disappointed that it didn't work because, God, I would love to see Grindhouse 2 and, and see other aspects, other directors give it a try. Um, but man, it was an utter failure financially. But God, I think it's great. I, I had so much fun. So much fun sitting down and watching all this. So not a bomb, not a bomb for sure. Okay. What about you, Sam? Well, I'm going to take a little bit of a different approach here. Um, well, this is really difficult. I, I love this thing. I absolutely love it, but I don't know if it's made for anybody except people who love movies as much as we do. <laughs> and in that regard, I feel like it, it struggles because I feel like, as much as Planet Terror and the Machete uh, or Machete uh, trailer at the beginning really get the vibe right, and then the trailers in the middle kind of get the vibe right as well, I really feel like it really is that situation in, in the office where one of the guys in your crew got, didn't get the memo <laughs> and uh, made his own movie. It's like, hey, why is everyone wearing a Hawaiian shirt today? <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> and, and, and not in a bad way because death proof, I love death proof, but it just feels like, dude, you didn't get the memo. This was partly your idea and you, you dropped the ball in a weird way, but not in a bad way. Right. This is probably the hardest of all the movies I've come on here and talked about with you guys, probably the hardest one to kind of judge for me because I love it so much, but I do understand as time has gone on and the more I've thought about it and even talking about tonight, why I bombed, I think. And I think it's just, I think it's two polar opposites. I don't think it, I don't think it meets its thesis. I think it's a grindhouse movie attached to a Quentin Tarantino movie. And I don't think the audience bought that connection. And I think Tarantino oddly might be as much to blame as anybody for the reason why this fails, even though I think he made a great film. So it's a very weird thing, but I'm going to go, uh, I'm going to go bomb. Oh my God. No, you didn't. <laughs> I'm going to go bomb. I, I think, I, you know, I think I understand why. I mean, I really think I understand why I bombed. I think it's made for a, a I think it's made for a niche audience. <sighs> Ouch. Ow. Yeah. I Look, nobody wants, to, and it's a very light bomb. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Okay, uh, it's a light okay. bomb. It's more it's like a, a firecracker. Yeah. It's a firecracker. Okay. It's, it's, to use the watch skip plus stuff, it's a floppy bomb. A floppy bomb. But, uh, it's a soft bomb. But, um, yeah, man, it, it's a really hard decision for me to say that. But I I just feel like, you know, even watching it this second time, as much as I love it, I just feel like Tarantino kind of, I just think he kind of missed what the, the, the thesis of the project was. And I think he's as much to blame as anybody for the reason why it might have failed. I I, I totally get behind that. I do. Um, and I'll say, say that there's, but if you paid attention to the special thanks, he does think there are Dario Argento and George Miller in Death Proof. Yeah, and, so and that should tell you a lot. There you go. Well, I, look, when when it came out after the theatrical release, they released this as two separate DVDs. 
So you would buy Planetaire, then you would go buy Death Proof. Longer cuts too. Longer cuts. Yeah. And and also well, and that was during the height of the DVD market too, right? So yeah. why did they do that? To recoup some cost, right? Well, sure, absolutely. But I, I would also say that's the best way to watch these films, in my opinion. Um don't I get so. I think so too. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. I had a blast sitting down for the three hour runtime and going through this. And I think it's a great experiment. However, I would agree with Sammy that the best way to watch these films is to watch Planet Terror and then the next night go watch Death Proof. Um, you'll get a great slice of grindhouse cinema from Rodriguez and a great parody. Um, I think it's really funny. And, and also you could sit there with a notepad and go, well, I, I need to go down this rabbit hole of grindhouse films in this one, et cetera. And then with death proof, I think you'll go, well, this is a really solid Quentin Tarantino film. There's some wonkiness here and there to it, but ultimately I, I think it's pretty fantastic. Um, I will side. So I'm kind of like you, Sammy, <laughs> I, I go, oh, this, this, if we just talked about one of these, it'd be like, not a bomb a hundred percent. But when you look at it as a grindhouse, you go, I do think it's problematic because one person got the assignment correct. The other person was, oh, you're doing math. Okay. Well, I'm going to study American history. Um, to- totally <laughs> yeah. different. Right. However, I would say it's not a bomb. It's a okay. light, not a bomb. <laughs> Whereas you're saying it's a light bomb. The floppy, not a bomb. It's a floppy, not a bomb because I think it's, it's best experienced watching these by themselves. That's interesting. So we're, we're basically the same, just one's a little bit more than, yeah. Okay. I got you. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I totally get where you're coming from, but I would, I would say that I, I think if you, if you watch these separately and you go, wow, those are really good. I think you should go back and try to watch it as a grindhouse experience just to see what they were yeah. going for. But I think you'll appreciate them more if, if you watch them on their own. Yeah. I think it, I think what hurts this experience is the experience itself. As separate films, I think they're both very solid films in each director's filmography. Yes. I, I agree 100%. Well, it's not all about us now. AI is taking over. So it's what do the computers think, right? So we fed all of this information into Robo Reviewer 1000. Let me turn them on. Yeah, I, 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 I have to remind you, Troy, I, I did this on a Sunday, so that might have some sort of influence on the opinion of robo reviewer. You put the data in on a Sunday on a Sunday. Yeah. Ooh, I okay. Worked on the Sabbath. All right. Well, let's see what happens. Here we go. What? what? My lust for the Godfather of Grindhouse is burning deep inside. My emotion chip is running wild. <laughs> Sorry. Robo reviewer is saying the quiet part out loud. Beep. Boop. <laughs> Beep. Grindhouse. A double feature film composed of Planet Terror and Death Proof presents a unique and intense cinematic experience. As a church-going mother, <laughs> I approached this film with caution due to its reputation for graphic violence, explicit content, and themes that may challenge my faith. In this review, I aim to provide an honest assessment of the film's artistic merits while considering its compatibility with Christian values. Planet Terror plunges us into a post-apocalyptic world plagued by a toxic gas that transforms people into flesh-eating zombies. The film intentionally pays homage to exploitation films from the 1970s, embracing a gritty and over-the-top style. While the violence and gore are excessive, 
it is vital to understand the film's intention as a homage to a specific genre. As a church-going mother, I found it difficult to overlook the explicit content and objectification of women, which contradict the biblical values I strive to uphold. The film's focus on gratuitous violence detracts from any potential messages or positive aspects it might offer. Transitioning to Death Proof, the second half of the double feature, we are introduced to a psychopathic stuntman who uses his car to hunt and kill young women. This segment features more dialogue-driven scenes and character development, allowing the film to explore the personalities and struggles of its protagonists. From a Christian perspective, the portrayal of violence against women is deeply unsettling and fails to promote respect for human life. Although the film exhibits elements of skilled direction and acting performances, it remains difficult to endorse due to its disturbing content. As a church-going mother, I am conscious of the influence that media can have on individuals, particularly younger viewers. Grindhouse, with its graphic violence, explicit language, and sexually suggestive scenes, is unequivocally not suitable for children or teenagers. The film's content could potentially desensitize impressionable minds and undermine the values and teachings we instill within our families. It is crucial for Christian families to exercise discernment when selecting films to watch. Grindhouse, with its excessive violence, objectification of women, and explicit content, does not align with Christian values. While it may possess certain artistic merits, these do not justify the morally troubling aspects present throughout the film. In conclusion, Grindhouse presents a challenging proposition for church-going mothers due to its graphic violence, explicit content, and objectionable themes. Its excessive focus on violence and the mistreatment of women conflicts with our faith-based values. I strongly caution fellow church-going mothers and families against exposing themselves or their children to this film, as it does not uphold the principles we strive to live by. And, review, powering, down. I, I didn't expect that. <laughs> I, I'm sorry. I, I, I'm, I shouldn't be working on Sunday. I, I, um, well, uh, hey, that's an interesting take on it. I, I think from that perspective, it's right. Maybe. Yeah. I'll tell you, I'll tell you what I took from this. Yeah. If, if the artificial intelligence world will eventually take us over, it's more disturbing that they might have faith than anything. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and children. Oh they're very disturbing reproducing wow yeah that's a that's incredibly disturbing (laughs) oh my goodness all right well um sammy i gotta say uh, thank you so much i know there's a ton of stuff going on you're super busy but we really really wanted to celebrate our third year with you for uh, obviously the the reasons we talked about the beginning you're you're one of our inspirations for doing a podcast um but on top of that you and Will 100% have exposed both Brad and I to, to so many films that we would have never seen or even considered buying. But you guys do such a wonderful job of not um, just having this great banter and dialogue like you're in a room with, with two best friends, um, but really pointing out the importance of some of these films that you talk about and why people should check them out. And uh, I, you've been doing this for a long time. I mean, we're we're newborns compared to your track record. Um, and we're, we're 
definitely in, in your shadow in this, but thanks for all that you do and all the years that you put into us. And, and thanks for spending some time this evening with us. No, I, it was a pleasure. I, again, I appreciate it. I, I remember you guys saying that the anniversary shows were kind of special and stuff. So I was always kind of hesitant to throw my name into the spreadsheet, but I'm glad you guys let me come on and, uh, yeah, talk about something that, you know, when I walked out of the theater after I saw this, I was like, there's people out there that get me. And that's the way I felt about Tarantino and Rodriguez. And I felt that way before they, this film, but we started podcasting the year after that. And, uh, the community it opened is unbelievable. And I've made a lot of lifelong friends, people that I stay at their houses. I've had people offer to let me stay at their house. Uh, it's, it's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. It's very touching that love of movies can turn into all this. Yeah. It, yeah. It's incredible. Well, I, I also want to add, Sammy, I appreciate you. You were kind of like that senior in high school and our podcast was the freshman and you invited us over to the to lunch table and told everyone that our podcast was cool. And so <laughs> a lot of your listeners have, have come our way. So I thank you for that. Letting us kind of <laughs> bandwagon off the people that listen to your show. And a lot of them have come and checked us out and we appreciate that. But yeah, you gave them kind of that, that stamp of approval and that meant a lot. Yeah. You know, what's amazing I, I may have told the story before back when we first recorded together, but I came upon your all show by accident, <laughs> which was weird. <laughs> I didn't know. I knew Troy. I knew Brad somewhat, but I didn't know they were doing a podcast. It got recommended to me in the Apple algorithm. And I was like, huh, I'll check this podcast out. And then the first voice I hear is Troy's. And I'm like, I know this guy. <laughs> <laughs> I guess he decided to do a podcast again. And then I just kind of reached out to you all. So I always, I find it kind of funny that that's the way I, I kind of got back in touch with uh, you guys. And, and yeah, I, I, I endorse what I believe in and you know, that I believe in you guys. Uh, it's, it's funny over three years. I think the funniest story I've had is having somebody at work um, who, who knows I love film and is big into films uh, recommend this podcast to me that, that they thought I would really like it. And there was some guy that, that had my, had my name on there and they're 100% serious. <laughs> and I'm like, Oh, thanks for, you know, I'll, I'll listen to it. Thanks for the recommendation. And just didn't say a word about it. Um, <laughs> and it only took them like a couple of months before they came back and they're like, wait a second, <laughs> wait a second. <laughs> but, um, no, that's cool. I mean, uh, I've Brad, I, wouldn't do this with anybody else but you, man. We, um, when COVID happened, and and I know we've talked about this, but being kind of just you, you didn't know what was going to happen, and the only thing you had around you was kind of like your family. Uh, you weren't allowed to go anywhere, um, and then you know you're texting back and forth and having a conversation, and then going, hey, we have all this extra free time. How will we jump on and and just have a dialogue over Ghostbusters two? <laughs> And then yep. that became a, you know what, Let, let's do podcasting again and see where it goes from that. Um, it's been a journey and I'm really super appreciative of over the last three years of all of the contacts and connections that we made in the community that has kind of surrounded us and given us all these great recommendations. I mean, there, there are so many films that over the last 156 episodes we've picked because we've wanted to talk about, but we've also done movies that neither of us have seen or don't even remember and put on the show because of what people have said about them or how much it means to them. And we want to mm -hmm. keep doing that. So you'll, you'll even know some of the movies that we're going to talk about even in the coming weeks aren't necessarily Brad and I's picks, but it's stuff that people have reached out and said, Hey, 
I really like this film or I want to revisit this film. Can you guys talk about it? And, and that's what's making our list going forward. Who should people listen to, Brad? Yeah, they should listen to the GGTMZ. See it, TMZ, <laughs> TMZ. Someone's got the Midnight Zombie. <laughs> yeah. Uh, watch Skip Plus, um, the VHS Files, um, Night of the Living podcast. Um, I know Zoe is taking a little bit of a break, but still go back and check out. His feed's still uh, available, so go look at the Backlook Cinema. And then we have Raiders of the Podcast. Oh, and the Mixtape Podcast as well. So yep. check all those out. They just had a big milestone, too. Um, yes. They they did an interview with Neely Brosh, so go check out that episode. It's fantastic. She's one of my favorite guitarists. Um, Zoe, we love you. Get back into the swing of things. If you need anything from us, let us know. And I encourage everybody to go back and listen to those episodes. Uh, if you have some feedback for us, if you want to share your thoughts on Grindhouse, Quentin Tarantino, Rodriguez, or recommend bombs that we should be covering, um, Brad's going to tell you how to get a hold of us. Yeah, that's notabombpod at gmail.com or go to notabombpodcast.com. Hit the contact us button. Leave us a recommendation, suggestion there or any sort of feedback or go to Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. Yes. Troy, what? speaking of lists, uh -huh. do you want to know what we're doing next week? I do because I totally forgot. <laughs> we are doing another film that was released in 2007. Ooh. It is a Western. Ooh, I like those. It is The Assassination of Jesse James. Ooh. By I'm, the Coward, blah, 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 blah. I'm super yes, excited. Yeah. Yes. I'm excited. I am very excited. This is going to be a crazy month, Brad. So we hit the three-year mark. We've had some interesting emails uh, hit the inbox. We've we've agreed to some interesting shows. Yes. I don't know where it's going to go, but I'm really excited about what we're putting together. And we still have another breaking Brad that we're going to do this month, which is um, you had a choice Justin between and Justin and Kelly widescreen Wide or full screen. screen. And you picked full screen. Um, it was blind choice. I wouldn't have cho done that by. <laughs> I think, I think the cosmos led you to that pick. Mm, yeah. So folks, this is going to be a great June. I, I gotta be honest. Some of the other movies that we're going to talk about are gonna be a lot of fun. And um, there's one before we sign off, there's one more thing we have to address really quick. A really good friend of ours had a birthday. One Mr. Jose. Oh yes, that's right. Yes. He turned 24 years 24 old. 24 years old. I know it's a big event for him. Um, I'm, I'm going to say this. I know you almost got, rent that car. Troy. He can almost, <laughs> almost, rent almost get there. I, I'm going to say this. My, my, my favorite thing you, you can share your favorite thing about Jose. My favorite thing about Jose is he has this exuberance for life. I mean, everything movies, um, just <laughs> art, uh, music. I, I mean, if you listen to his podcast, watch get plus the whole idea is like, not just talk about movies, but you know, sort of things that affect their lifestyle and, and his passion is just, it has no measure. But the greatest thing I appreciate about Jose is um, how much of an impact that he's had on my kids in terms of a role model and inspiration. And I love this just undying positivity that he has. And uh, I cannot thank him enough for being in my life, really. And happy birthday, Jose. I mean that big time. Yeah. I think between you and Jose, it's like this positivity over 
flow that I just need in my life. Uh, <laughs> Jose just being the one who likes so many trash movies. That oh, you're he just loves like, everything. How, how do you? And then when you find something you, he hates, it's like just this weird anomaly. But no, he's so he's such just a sweet, loving guy who, you know, is just him 100 percent. And that person is just one of the nicest people I know. And I'm so happy to have him in my life. And this podcast is the reason Jose's in my life. So I cherish that. Love it. But God, he makes he likes trash films. He likes trash films. There's no rhyme or reason. <laughs> Hey, I'll just chime in and say that, Jose, I love you. You are one of the most genuine people I have ever met. And uh, I consider him a friend for life, a brother till the end. Love it. Yes, 100%. Well, I guess it's time to sign off. Folks, I don't know if you're listening in the morning, the afternoon, or evening. Thank you for three amazing years. We hope to do a bunch more shows for you. Come back next week. We're going to talk about this really cool Western with Brad Pitt. Uh, go watch it. You're going to love it. Uh, and, and you know, keep listening. Keep writing in. Keep giving us suggestions. We, we want to keep building this community. And we'll, we'll catch you next week. Don't lose your head. Bye. Bye.